know, I always ask this to other people, Brad. I always ask people what their morning routines are. Ah. What are what's what kind of guy are you? My morning routine is Marlboro, bacon and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Lay in bed for ten minutes and dream that I can stay there. Uh-huh. <laughs> could you are you one of those people who naturally, if undisturbed, could sleep like all morning? Oh yeah. I can I could lay in bed w- without being asleep and be totally happy for a wow. certain amount of time. Professional bed layer. I definitely, when I was younger, had the ability to sleep for eight to ten hours, no matter what time I went to bed. Wow. Back when I was DJing and would go to bed at six a.m., I would, yeah, I would sleep till fucking two in the afternoon. I love it. And then if I had a meeting or something at ten a.m., I would go to bed at whenever midnight or one and what makes you be able to rest so easily brad you know like the only people i've ever met who can sleep like that are from california because their their souls are resting (laughs) you know their souls are just like a little less just stressed out you do kind of have like a california soul vibe (laughs) you do let things slide off of you you know i did you know i lived in california for like yeah three years when i was a child this is like, like the cure to insomnia. I think, you know, stop with these breathing techniques and medications and stuff like that. Just relocate to like Southern California for six months. Oh, so yeah. cure itself. It, it'll definitely put a mellow on your mouth. Everyone I've met from California are just like, yeah, man. Just put my head on the pillow, you know? I'm like, <laughs> 10 hours later, yeah, there I am under the orange tree. Yeah, man, no problem. Fuck you. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Fucking take a chill pill. Dude. Yeah, take it's not chill. worth it. So is that our is that going off track advice <laughs> for the world? Yeah, going take, off track. Take a chill pill. <laughs> we should get uh, sponsored by like Adderall or something. They should run ads. <laughs> going off track. Take a chill pill. Here, have some Adderall. <laughs> there we go. You know, we always do this. It's like it's uh. You know, this week we have Howard Beck, big time (laughs) sports reporter, you know, literally has hung out with Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal and all the coolest people that I have like collect cards of and shit. I think I met Howard through, this was when I first got on Twitter and was like, holy shit, I can just like hit up all these people I read and listen to all the time and they might like my band. Crazy. You know, and Howard was one of those who I just started kind of like chatting with on Twitter. And then eventually, like, you know, he lives in Brooklyn. I have the season tickets for the Nets. So we like, you know, connect before or after during games a bunch of times. And then he was out in uh, Dublin one time with his family, came to a gaslight show. We had dinner together. So, you know, over the years, I'm not even on Twitter anymore. And we Uh. still keep a still keep a good friendship. And, you know, I, I, I often text like, you know, I think people would be surprised. They're like, oh, this guy's a basketball fan. But people like Howard know that I am a compulsive, almost borderline, like, psychopathic. I remember th- this summer, you know, the rookies and the first-year players who, like, might get on a team in the NBA, they play on a thing called Summer League. And, you know, it's 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 like where they all just meet up and have a couple like scrimmages against other teams. And then really not a lot of people pay attention to this stuff. And I'm like the first day of summer league, 
texting Howard being like, yo, you see what Chet Holmgren put up today? You know? And he's like, why are you watching this? He's like, I'm not even watching this yet. Like, this is crazy, you know? But so that's, that's we both have a, a deep love for hoops and then, you know, wound up, and Howard has a deep love for music. You know, he goes to Gaslight. He's a hardcore REM fan, like mm. big rock and roll fan and always connected into that. So it was kind of a cool... Uh, crossover. And then, you know, you get into, he's kind of got that window into, you know, still like classic journalism, right? You know, like when, you know, guys with notepads were <laughs> in the locker rooms watching, right. you know, guys in towels get changed and, you know, getting comments and piecing together stories and kind of this pre-internet, pre-COVID access when, you know, there was really this like, you know, local beat writer and uh, athlete was like this kind of synonymous connection a lot of times, you know, like. Right. It was a bit of a partnership. I mean, like, it wasn't yes. like, it wasn't like journalism where they're trying to get the dirt, you know, like usually, yeah, they were welcome there for a reason. Because I think it seemed to be mutually beneficial exactly. for each side to like each other and promote each yeah. other in a way, you know. Um so not not to be said, but I think, you know, that's where journalists always got to draw the line and you can't be a sycophant because then you get called one real fast, you know, right. where you're just like, oh, you're just an apologist for this person. So I'm sure through that process, you know, you have to piss off the guy you're covering like a lot probably, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> and kind of get into it because you're the only one who has the access to kind of ask these questions. Um, and it always happens. Uh, I mean, you just watched... Uh, Jason Kidd blow up on the Mavericks beat writer for not writing anything positive for years mm. and like stuff like that. You know, it still happens. But then Howard moved into, you know, like podcasting. He interviewed a lot of musicians and cool people on the full 48. Now he got picked up into the Ringer Network, which means two of my, the, the pods, he's on the Zach Lowe podcast and the Bill Simmons podcast, you know, every week or two now. And, and those are things I consume on the regular, you know, quicker than a going off track even. Uh. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So it's nice to, to catch up with him and get his insight onto all this and like just how one, you know, gets from A to B, it's like, it, it, for someone who plays music, right? It's like kind of this, like, how do you get that job, you know? Right. <laughs> like, what happens? Like, so, yeah, it was kind of cool to peel back the uh, peel back the onion here. 
So you, in your day-to-day life as a writer and reporter, like, when you wake up, what do you do? What's your day-to-day like? Are you a you gym guy? Coffee guy? <laughs> oatmeal guy? Like, like, how do you get going? How do you, and then how do you consume, you know, news and media and stuff like that as part of it? Do you have, I've heard about some artists who have like a, you know, an hour long delay from like wake up time to when they're allowed to start doom scrolling. Um, so what, what's your, what's your uh, schedule like in that way? I got to admit on the doom scrolling part of it, I do get on way too early on the Twitter thing. Like I, are you, I, is it like open your eyes and boom? No, not quite, but it's probably within the first 15 minutes after I've gotten up, which is a bad way to start the day. That's really, that's really stupid. Like, just destructive, <laughs> not healthy. Don't recommend it. Don't do this, kids. Um, and I'll, I'll excuse it or I'll rationalize it by being like, oh, well, it's my job. I'm in media, blah, right. blah, blah. That's bullshit. Like, I, 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 I could do a lot less of it. Um, coffee, man. It's coffee. You asked? Immediately. Like, the routine? Yeah, get up, yeah. shake off some cobwebs, uh, and go make coffee if, if, if my wife hasn't already beaten me to it. And then- um, okay. Yeah, I got to get that going before most anything. Uh, maybe turn on NBA radio in the morning, listen to that a little bit just to kind of catch up on the night before or, or hear what sure. they're saying about what's going on just to kind of get my, like, I feel like I need to get my head in the game early in the day. And the thing is like our schedule as an NBA reporter, your schedule is is really warped, right? Like you you know this, like yours, yeah. you, you do not live a normal work schedule either in that your line true. of work. Yeah. But the NBA because we and we all live on on the east coast so there's games going on a lot of nights until midnight 1 a.m yeah uh-huh. and so it skews the whole day so I, I end up sleeping in a little bit the next morning because I'm, I'm up late watching um and then it's kind of like how much of the early part of the day do I dedicate to getting stuff done as opposed to later because I know I know that the latter part of my day the evening is completely filled with I have to watch games. I know so people do you say stay like, awake for like West Coast finishes? Uh, depends on the night. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, there are there are plenty of times I'm 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 conking out on the couch while trying to stay up for those sure. West Coast finishes. Yeah, yeah. But like I, the, I ask yeah. because I'm I'm the same. Like I always I always feel so great where it's like it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Everyone in the house went to sleep, and I'm like, oh great, like Mavs Kings. Let's dig in. You know. Yeah. And then I like like lay down to watch. I watch about ninety seconds, and then, and then I'm done. You know, <laughs> the struggle is real. Yeah. <laughs> How late will you cut coffee off? Will you will you drink an extra cup at like six thirty, getting ready for like seven o'clock tips? No, I I generally like it's a couple cups a day. And it's usually in the morning, and like if if the if I haven't finished it off, if there's still some in the pot, like I I might do the thing in the mid afternoon where I come back and go, ooh, there's a whole cup here. I just need to microwave oh, it, which is yeah. like disgusting, but um, but I do it oh, anyway. But what a treat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not caffeinating for the evening. Like I would fear the you drink coffee at six to try to get through the evening games, and then you try to go to bed at one, and you find out you can't actually yeah. fall asleep. So um, it's a young yeah. man's game. I got to say it is. It, it is. is. I play it, is. it too much. I play it too it, much. This is my 27th season covering the NBA. And so, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I was like the, the endurance part of it was a lot easier when I was, you know, in my late twenties and thirties than it is now. But, um, but at but back then too, the, you ask about routine. So I used to cover the Lakers as a beat writer. Mm-hmm. 
for mm-hmm. seven years, seven years of 82 game seasons and a bunch of finals runs, right? Three championships with Shaq and Kobe. The last year I covered them in 04, they lose to the Pistons. So four finals in the last five years that I covered them. It's a lot yeah. of games. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of uh, like late night, early morning flight the next day. My sleep patterns sure. were terrible. Um, yeah. Wreaked havoc. And then when I left LA to come to New York, it was to cover the Knicks for the New York Times. And I did that for close to nine years. So 16 straight years, I'm on the full-on treadmill of the NBA where you're covering basically an 82-game season plus playoffs. The Knicks wouldn't make the playoffs, but like the Times would send me to go cover (laughs) Suns Mavericks or, you know, Spurs Suns or something. There was a lot of Suns in there. Um, Or whatever the, the, the series of interest was. And so I would be on the road for, you know, 100 nights a year, maybe on average during that period of time. Right. And um, and a lot of late nights and early morning flights because they'd go four games and five nights on the schedule. And so every night you're like covering a game late, get up the next morning, fly, you know, uh, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. And yeah. um, that was And that like was all over. I mean, there's a lot of like bi-coastal and stuff like that. Who on your end, I wonder, you know, because I know the team has someone who handles all the coordination and scheduling, like, when you're working at the Times or or in LA, um, is there someone at your newspaper responsible for, you know, following the team around, or are you taking care of these kinds of things on your own? No, we we book all of our own stuff. Um, wow, you know, and, and I, that that might vary at other places, but I mean, everywhere I've worked, and I think most of my friends, it's the same in the industry. So that's where- got to be part of the like. I, I, that's got to be a large portion of your time. I got to imagine if you're you're almost like half a travel agent. How you? Yeah. Are you great with how's your rewards points? Are you like <laughs> fucking gold pretty, status for everything? Pretty pretty robust. Once upon a time, um, yeah. no, it is, dude. It is seriously seriously time consuming booking all your own travel, especially if you're trying to be conscientious. Because I could just you know pull up a list of hotels and just say, that's the hotel I want. I like that one. Oh, it's 400 a night. I don't care. I'll just click it. But like, if you're trying to be conscientious and, or if the company's uh, system is going to flag everything over a certain amount, like you do have to be judicious. And so you got to shop around a bit and that that's time consuming. And I fear for myself, if I was left to that device, you know, like if I was booking it, there was, there was a lot of time, even on this last tour I was on, I'd wake up in some strange city off the highway and our tour manager this tour just loved a Marriott Bonvoy, you know, or a Courtyard Marriott, which are often like by the airport outside of town. And I always have this quick five minutes of like, what the fuck? Like, can't we just be in like the, like a cool place downtown where I can go grab a coffee and there's like, you know, foofy leather bound books on the wall. And then I quickly (laughs) assess how many rooms we just had to book. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is fine. This is fine. I'll take this Showtime Max for the day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Water's clean. No one will bother me here. It's fine. <laughs> there's, see, there's only two... two uh, the stereotypical impressions, the sim- oversimplified fan view of traveling as a, as a rock band, right? I would either imagine it's, it's one of two extremes, either that you're staying in nothing but like Ritz Carlton's and shishi little boutique hotels. And it's great, especially once you guys made it, or it's the opposite, right? It's, it's picturing every movie I've ever seen about like, you know, you know, rock bands scuffling along and like, you know, the motel sixes or whatever. And and of course, trashing the place, which I'm sure you've done many times, Benny, but. Oh, um, goodness gracious. I wish you only (laughs) knew how it, 
<laughs> do you think the guilt could let me ever do that? I was literally, you can ask, ask Alex and Alex from Gaslight Anthem about this because they, you know, there were times like the boys wanted to get into it. And then I'm always the fucking killjoy sitting there just like, you know, uh, you know, gentle reminder. Uh, the person who has to fucking come in here tomorrow morning and clean this shit is not getting paid a lot of money. And you're kind of a yeah. fucking prick right now, you know? Um, but okay, I'll leave the room and just leaving that nugget, like dropping the bomb on everyone's fun. So I, I'm quite the opposite. I like leave tips if I feel like I soiled the room too much, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Quite, quite the opposite. You know, but it does, I've heard, you know, it's in the arts. I think the same with like sports and stuff like this, when you start comparing the people toiling in the uh, underbelly of it and then to the top, you know, I know like back in the day, if Metallica was touring Europe, they would each block uh, like the floor of a hotel in Paris. And every night, wherever they played in Europe would fly back to Paris. And that was just like their home for like a couple months, hmm. you know, which is like an incredibly nice way to tour. But when I, you know, someone who actually pays attention to the ledgers of touring, I'm going, oh my God. God, that is expensive. Like, and it takes a crazy amount of success to get to that point. And when, like, you know, you're a band uh, on our level or, you know, below, and you're really counting on, like, the, the actual small percentages and dollars of cents of each tour to come, like, support your family and shit like that. And, you know, the more, the bigger and bigger you get, the more expensive that incurs, you know, the bigger the production means you have an extra truck or you have an extra bus, which means more people to manage that equipment and drivers. So when you're showing up to this courtyard Marriott, you know, you're booking 15 rooms, you know, or something like that. And if you're Taylor Swift and you're doing this production at like the stadiums, I mean, shit, you're booking hundreds and hundreds of rooms throughout that city. And it must take like years of planning to get it ahead. I actually, that being said, I was wondering something in your industry. Like we do episodes every once in a while called road dogs, which is the people of our industry who are like the lifers behind the scenes who are kind of like making a show happen and have been for a long time, but you know, don't really get the love for it. Who is that? in like the traveling sports world, you know, like uh, who are the proper road dogs of your industry? Like how does equipment get around? Who are the biggest like grinders who you're just like, shit, that's tough, you know? Yeah. No, look, every team has an equipment manager. And these days, sometimes they have a couple of them. Some, you know, one person's in charge and maybe they have an assistant or, or, you know, but there aren't that many of them. And those guys are, are literally the ones like, like, NBA players travel with a ridiculous number of shoes, just the basketball shoes alone, right? And the equipment manager is the one in charge of making sure that, hey, that like these guys have a backup and a backup to the backup and a backup to that. Because, you know, if we're going to be out on the road for a week or two, um, you know, something may happen um, or they just, some guys just like switching out and having a fresh pair every time. Okay. So there's, there's all that. There's all the jerseys. Um, and sometimes things go wrong. Like you saw a recent game where Victor Wembanyama the jersey ended up with an N where the M should be. 
And and that like that that's a nightmare for the equipment manager. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to and you got to have the backup one that actually has it spelled right and hopefully swap that out, which they did at halftime of that game. So the equipment managers are the grinders. A lot of the travel. I'm not sure if it's still the case. Team trainers used to be the guys who were doing the travel a lot of the times. They were doing a lot of oh, logistics stuff in addition really? to being the team trainer. But that was that's going back a ways. Like I'm sure those guys aren't doing a lot of that anymore. Um, there's, you know, there's there's a George Costanza assistant to the traveling secretary position somewhere <laughs> in all of this, right? But yeah. the but the people, the the grinders that you're talking about, Benny, are, are really it's the equipment manager guys, and you'll sometimes yeah. see them. You won't necessarily know how to pick them out if you're watching a game, but they're always around the bench. They're the ones, you know, the guy's about to check in. The guy hands him his mouthpiece, his mouth guard, or right. yeah, coming yeah, back yeah. to the bench is handing him his towel or. Uh, making sure that he got the Gatorade that's labeled for him and not somebody else's so that, you know, they don't <laughs> right. get cooties from their teammates. Um, yeah, and they'll have hell to pay, I'm sure, if they screw it up. Like, like exactly. it makes me think of like, you know, I watch um, a Bruce Springsteen show from backstage and you see like Max Weinberg get these very like specific drinks with like umbrellas and straws and full of ice. <laughs> and they come like... It doesn't just come once. Like the old ones get subbed out for new ones, like periodically, you know? And I'm like, that's the drummer. I'm like, imagine what like, you know, <laughs> little Steven asked for and like stuff like that, <laughs> like these bizarre little things. And I'm sure players have a lot of these little uh, quirks where if you don't get it correctly, it might might kind of like, I'm well, sure it really um, sparks something in their heads, right? Because so much co- of, couple of things is there. habitual. Yeah, a couple of things there. So some guys have sponsorship deals with Gatorade, but some have deals with Powerade, and some oh, might have deals with vitamin yeah. water. And the yeah. guy who's the guy who's now a you're vitamin water with sponsor. Money. Yeah. If you uh, hand him a Gatorade bottle and that catches him on live TV, Gatorade's going or uh, vitamin water is going to be very unhappy with their sponsored athlete holding a Gatorade bottle on national TV. So there's stuff like that where you got to cover up labels. You got to make sure that you don't cross up. So there's that stuff. But on a, on a more fundamental level or more important level when it comes to these athletes being these just high-performance machines, they actually formulate, the training staff does, the medical st- and, and training staff, and, and these teams have nutritionists. They've got all these you know, dietitians, all these people. They formulate smoothies for each player. And sometimes those are in-game and sometimes those are after-game as recovery drinks. But they are formulated often tailored to each individual yeah, player right. based on on their height, weight, size, you know, load, whatever. They 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 are tailored to them. So, yeah, there actually is some, some customization there that's actually important. Yeah, that's wild. And that much just takes such... I mean, have you ever seen, like, somebody get the wrong smoothie and just, like, toss it back? <laughs> I've, I don't I don't know that I have, but uh yeah, that that hell to pay for that one. Yeah. So I'm like, you're way into this thing. Like, you know, what's your earliest kind of recognition of just sort of not not on you know, sports aside, just kind of falling in love with, you know, um writing, uh journalism. Like what were some early authors or or journalists that that started to kind of push you in this direction. So there's probably like a bunch of like disparate key little moments, right? If we're talking about like, you know, we, we all love the idea of mythologizing ourselves and having our own origin stories. Right. So, oh, yeah. um, 
And listen, the people who we talk about for centuries are the ones who boost their own story, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> Howard Beck. So don't sit here and, and give me humility, you know. I want the <laughs> I want the blown up version, you know. I really I really need to uh to workshop my origin story. Yeah, and, it's and the 90s, bro. You gotta stand I need, out. <laughs> I need some more superhero elements in there. Um so the, the the writing part of it and the journalism part of it, so I I, I grew up, as I mentioned, in, in San Jose, California. We had the San Jose Mercury News on the breakfast table every day. My parents subscribed to the San Jose Mercury News. My dad also read the Wall Street Journal. So there were always newspapers on the on the table in the morning. And uh I, I think I started off like like any kid back in the day. You you were reading the comics page, right? And then right. maybe you're reading like, you know. Dear Abby or Ann Landers or the advice columns and you're reading the horoscopes and whatever and you're reading all the light stuff. And then at some point, the sports thing hit and I started reading the sports section. And I think somewhere along the way, I was probably reading some news too. But one piece of this is newspapers always on the kitchen table, on the breakfast table. So, I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, my dad's always reading it over breakfast. So I think that like kind of set the example for the rest of us. Everybody's grabbing what a piece kinda, of- What kind of business like were your parents and, you know, like reading the Wall Street Journal every day is- some some uh, smart stuff, you know. <laughs> like what was what, yeah. what, what were they into? Like what, um, what was your family my, situation my, like that? Yeah, no, my father was like a, um, a, a sales executive type, right? So he worked in in tech. We were in the Bay Area, and he worked in um, telecommunications. So the early, uh-huh. early, like before, I don't think Silicon Valley was even a phrase yet, um, but he was in the telecommunications part of things. He uh-huh. had actually um, studied engineering in college, but ended up going the sales route, loved that part of, of, of the world. He didn't go down the engineering route. He went the sales route. And so he would, he traveled a lot. So I'm like a, I'm like a, a legacy Marriott re- rewards member. Like my dad was, <laughs> my dad was lifetime platinum long before I was. So it's like, oh, there you know, you go. Follow, following in his footsteps a little in that way. Marriott should really recognize generational loyalty like this. You know? Uh, Get on their Twitter handle, you know? You have a lot of followers. (laughs) Come on. My my dad was like, I, I remember him saying like back in the day, because like he I remember he would take occasionally like a, a like a Reno air flight at the last minute because he needed to get a couple more miles to get status or a free ticket before the end of the year or something. That like wow. that is a thing that happened where he just took a, 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 a out and back flight. Um so I learned <laughs> all my travel skills. And all of that gaming the system and whatever. My dad was way better at it. Uh, but I, I did pick up a lot of that from him. But yeah, so like the Wall Street Journal was on the table because my dad was a business guy. So that's that was yeah, the thing. Yeah, right. Got and my to. mom was mostly a stay-at-home mom when we were kids. And then uh, eventually she worked in a, for a market research firm when we were uh, like in high school. Yeah, big family. Do you have brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Uh, older brother, Jeff. Uh, not that Jeff Beck, though he likes to play off that a lot. <laughs> he has he has gotten a lot of miles out of that over the years. I can, um, I can imagine. He he's out in Northern California. Uh, my younger brother Mark used to live close by in Brooklyn, here where I am. Uh, but about five years ago, he and his family decided to uh, uh, downshift a little. They're out in Portland, Oregon now, uh, where where things are a little less uh, chaotic. <laughs> okay. And um, were, did any of them get into the kind of stuff you got into? Or are you a, an isolated case in your family? No, I am a complete freak mutant. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was the only, like, I'm not going to say I had much of a sports athletic career, Benny. Like, I'm, not, I, I'm just, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, but I was, relative to my family, 
I was the all-star athlete because my brother is completely uncoordinated and very little interest in sports. What's the highlight moment? The highlight moment? It's like the highlight moment of your personal sports career. Uh, of my athletic career, I will tell you. Yeah, what was the zenith? <laughs> it's, it was a long time ago, so it's been a very, very long decline. But when I was <laughs> a junior, I think it was my junior year of high school, I ran a 520 mile at a track meet. Wow. That was that was my uh, that was my career peak. Um, That's fast. That was pretty damn good. I was pretty proud of that. And okay. I used to do. I did the mile and the two mile. I tried the eight hundred a couple times. Oh my god! I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> like sprinting around the track twice and like and you it has to it is really almost an all out sprint the eight hundred. Yeah. Um, Yikes. Uh, that that nearly killed me. And then I ran cross country as well, uh, which. Was was fun, but also like grueling. You like running up hit dirt hills and stuff. Uh, but that that's like I played soccer. Um, I had like one year of like youth basketball was not particularly great. Yeah, you were like you were like slim slim guy running sports. Yeah, because as you've seen, you've we, you know, we, uh, you've, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm slim guy. I'm like I'm <laughs> like I'm not I'm not out there overpowering anybody doing anything. So um, I played a lot of like just like touch football with my friends in the, in the street. You know where you're like right, yeah. just scraping up everything on the asphalt. <laughs> um, so but, junior year five twenty. Yeah. Did you win like a tournament running and such? Like was this a I don't even remember where I placed in that particular uh, meet. I, I don't. I don't. I didn't win that race. There were people faster than me for sure. Um, oh wow! And I don't think okay. I ever got close to five twenty again. And, and then I ended up with like I can't remember what I had my senior year, but I just remember like my track season got kind of wiped out by, um, you know, flu or I don't know if I had pneumonia. What did I have? I had something that just like screwed me my my last year of high school. But um, do you still get out and run at all? No. Uh, I, I still ran like as just kind of like keep them in shape kind of running through college and some post-college years. And then about 10 years ago, while covering your Brooklyn Nets, um, <laughs> we were on a road trip in LA. The Nets were practicing on an off day at UCLA, what they refer to as the old men's gym. Um, and this often happens. A team is practicing on the road. The beat writers are there. We interview the players when they're done, interview the coach. They clear out, and a couple of the other beat writers picked up a couple of the basketballs and started shooting around. And they're like, hey, let's play pickup. I'm like, uh, I really should be going back to the hotel and like filing my story. Yeah, um, yeah. And also, like, everybody, so the other people who were in the gym that day, they're all 15 years or more younger than me. Not I'm good. by far the oldest in the gym. Yeah. I should not have been playing. Uh, Sarah Kustak and I were teammates. Sarah okay. was carrying my ass because Sarah's like a ace basketball player. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Sarah's great. She played in college at a high level. So it's Sarah and me against Tim Bontemps, uh, who's at the, at the New York Post at that time, now at ESPN, uh, and Ben Couch, who was writing for the Nets website. Okay. And it's, it's, so it's, Tim is the one guarding me, and Tim is tall. Tim's okay. got several inches on me, and he's really long. And I'm 15 years older, if I haven't mentioned this already. <laughs> I made some fucking jackass move trying to, like, get around him and flip the ball up. And, like, you know, my left leg went one way. My body went the other way. I blew up my left knee. ACL, meniscus. Oh, uh, no. So the short answer to uh, the question is, no, I'm not running anymore. And, not and anymore. largely because of that. Yeah. Oh, I can't. What was the scene like when that happened? I can't. Was was Tim Bontemps? Uh, 
Like, were you getting a lot of empathy there? Was like, <laughs> oh like- no, no, everybody was, everybody was great. In fact, Sarah drove me in my rental car back to the Nets hotel so that we could have the trainer look at me. I wasn't sure. When, it, when you blow out an ACL, you'll see this in NBA games. Oftentimes, the knee will blow up pretty quickly, and so you know immediately. Oh, look at all that swelling! It's right. it's you know it's one of the major ligaments there. I did not swell. Oh, really? um, or, or very little anyway. So it was not huh. entirely clear right off. And so they thought, you know, you might be okay. But I, I just remember that when I fell, I, I did, my, my first reaction was not ow. My first reaction was fuck, because I knew I had just done something really stupid and I shouldn't have been playing. And I should have been playing as long as we'd been playing for like a half hour at that point. I'm tired as hell. Mm. And fatigue leads to injuries like that. Um, so my, my first thought in my head, I can vividly remember, was not about the pain. It was, I just did something really stupid. I screwed up and I'm on the road. And I, like, what am I going to do now? Yeah, it was more like a, like, shit, like I got to deal with this. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. And so I, I iced my knee for the rest, like that night. I covered the Lakers-Nets game the next day. And then it was Thanksgiving weekend. So I couldn't even get in to see a doctor. So it took like a good, I was walking around with like a blown knee, not knowing what it was for about a week and a half before I finally got to hospital for special surgery. Guy looked at me, did all these little, they, they, they do all these little manipulations on your leg to like feel it. And then he's like, you blew out your ACL. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm telling you, he goes, uh, you know, I'm going to send you for an MRI because that's what we do. But I'm telling you right now, you blew your ACL. I'm like, oh. So, um, yeah, that was, so, you know, surgery, months and months of rehab, not fun. The good news is, while I'm not running anymore because I don't want to put that pounding on my on my joints, sure. uh, like, I got back to skiing like a year and a half later. And I've been oh, skiing really? every year since with my daughter. So, like, I'm, you know, that. Uh, shout out to Dr. Howard Rose at Hospital for Special Surgery. Did a great job repairing my knee. <laughs> so you're back out there hitting the slopes. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah. nice to hear. Yeah. Where do you? How far out of uh, the city do you go when you do it? Uh, there's a you know Camelback out in the Poconos. Yeah, yeah, that's where you know most snowboarders I knew and stuff would cruise out when I was a kid. Out Great spot. Back. Yeah. That's yeah. that's kind of our go-to. That's a kind of our home mountain because it's it's a pretty quick drive. This, unfortunately, it's so um the elevation's so low that given how dry our winters have been the last several years here in the northeast, like they just haven't been getting that much snow. So, but yeah. that's 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 been our home spot. And then um we did Bromley up in Vermont for a day last year, and we've done Catamount. Um, but yeah, not not quite the uh range of options that I had as a kid in Northern California <laughs> no. and, and we could go to Tahoe. <laughs> yeah. As, as far as I know, like almost anybody I knew growing up who started to take that seriously, just moved, you know, <laughs> because of the, the limited options, you know, they go they're like, Oh yeah, we're good now. So we want some powder. We go out to Utah and that's the way we do it. There is something I'm interested in because, you know, as a little bit of a amateur student of the human condition, um, you know, I've been in so many bands and I've toured with so many bands that you start to see these tendencies in, in different instruments. You know, there's tendencies of singers, guitar players, bass players, drummers, how, listen how quiet Brad is right now. Typical guitar player shit going on. <laughs> oh, you know? oh, oh, don't get me started on <laughs> bass players and drummers. <laughs> He's like, oh, I got nothing to talk about. I'm just going to fuck with some chords. <laughs> Typical guitar player shit going on. Um, so 
in in like the scale of a, a sports, like an NBA team, you know, with the five positions, have you noticed any singular personality tendencies of those certain instruments? Like, I'd imagine like a shooting guard is like a little bit of a lead guitar player. They have to have a little more, you know. Um, they don't need uh, anything. They're fine. Okay. No, nah, they need, but you need to like, <laughs> like forget the last shot and kind of not give a shit and have a little more guile. Mm. And if you're like a big man, maybe you got to do it. So have you noticed over this many years of, of studying NBA teams, the connection of like certain personality traits and certain positions? I just, I'm, I'm smiling as you're asking. This is a really fun mental exercise and I'm cycling through all these like archetypes in my head of like players and like band members and instruments and like, how does it all match up? I, it, I, I think the answer, if you had asked me this like 20 years ago, it might've been a little different in that, you know, we're not, we're in this era where they say positionless. It's not really positionless, but it's positionally right. fluid. Right. So sure. it, it's not, it, it's not so like back in the day, like, like what would Shaq have been? Like, Shaq yeah. would have just been like, was was Shaq the the drummer because he's just uh, beating the hell out of everything? Like, I, I, see. I don't know. So <laughs> as far as this exercise is concerned, let's let's go back to like the eighties and nineties when these when it was positions more traditional. were much more defined. Yeah, like yeah. pre pre the 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 shooting big so, man. Okay, you know? so so you could say like the point guard is the lead singer because oh. that that that's the guy who's kind of. Uh, out front in control. On the other hand, I think in all of these cases across the eras, the lead singer is is probably just whoever the leading scorer is, isn't it? Like, isn't I, yeah. Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant's the lead singer on whatever team he's on, right? LeBron James is the lead singer. It doesn't matter what position they play, but that's the dude with the ball in his hands a lot more than anybody who's right. and who's getting the most glory and the most spotlight, right? The that's the singer right. gets the spotlight, right? Mm-hmm. So there's yes, that. Yes, I think you're correct there. And I like where this is leaning. All right. So in this case, if I'm thinking about like, then who's like the rhythm section, who's keeping everybody on track, I might think like a Mike Conley, not all point guards, but like, or more like like Andre Miller, old school point guard, or Jace, Jason Kidd back in the day. Uh-huh. They, they control the tempo, like literally control the tempo of the game. Oh, like it's almost two on the nose, right? You're making me so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then like, if that's the case, the, like the bass player is, is critical in that regard too, right? So like um, maybe that's just the other guard, right? Or mm. maybe it's the center who's playing in the post, but who's not your score, but is more of just your hub, who you're throwing the ball into just yeah. to kind of draw in the defense for a minute until like the Draymond green type, right? Like Draymond's the bass player then. Yeah. Yeah. I think the ground and pound is your bass player. You know, it's like the position that like, you don't notice this person. Yeah. Unless they're really fucking good at it or they fuck up. Yeah. You know? And I think, yeah, that would be a bass player and a standard back to the basket big. Sure. So yeah. where are we at with lead guitar? That's a wing? Ooh. Lead guitar. Yeah, I mean probably, right? Like the lead guitar, like I th- you know, like I think about the relationship between the two guys in Almost Famous. I fucking love that movie. And <laughs> sure. I think yeah. right? The tension I'm between I'm only the fucking lead singer. <laughs> yeah. Love Jason Lee. Um so 
like there's that tension, right? If if the lead yeah. guitarist and the lead singer are not the same person, right. then those are those are the two guys who are kind of fighting for control. So now you've yeah. got that's almost that's like the old Shaq and Kobe thing, right? Or sure. it's yeah. or in the or in the situations where it actually does work. It's Michael Jordan as lead singer and Scotty Pippen as lead guitarist, right? Because it's a yeah. partnership where uh -huh. one guy has to be a little bit uh, behind the other guy, even though they both are badass and necessary, critical to the to the enterprise. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like like um, say like Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth. Yeah, you know, that's like two high volume shooters, right? You know, so like even though they're both fantastic. Yeah, your run is going to have a ceiling, right? Because somebody's got to play defense, and then you bring in, <laughs> and then I feel like bringing in Sammy Hagar was giving like LeBron James, like Dwayne Wade, you know, like a steadying force there, or like when Curry got Durant, you know, yeah, um, yeah, something like that. But you're right if if the two volume scores or the singer and guitar player at odds. Um, and then, and then maybe the difference I loved, you know, cause we're going to get to this later, but you literally mentioned two of the three point guards on the list, my list, mm. which is Andre Miller and Jason Kidd as two of my favorite point guards ever, because that is the drummer. The drummer is the pass first point guard. You know what I mean? Like I liked Mike Conley too. You score when you have to, you run the tempo, everybody's in their spot. And like, you know, a good game for like, what was that stat early in the season with Mike Conley? He had like 50 assists to no turnovers. Something insane. Yeah. Chris Paul you know, had a streak like that this season too. Yeah. And that's like, that's for me, that's like two weeks where I'm like, you know what? I didn't fucking flub once this entire week. I didn't have one flub yeah. tight. Yeah. Follow me. I'll take you home. Yeah. But that guy can't win you a ring. Like I can't win a ring on my own. My team is, <laughs> If there's a bunch of me on that team, yeah, that team has a, a limited ceiling. Like, like you know, we all need each other, right? No, you need to, you gotta you gotta pass the rock to Brian Fallon. That's, That's the right. job. That's right. Score the ball, baby. You get the statue. You know what I mean? I'll like, yeah, I'll coach high school basketball when I'm sixty or something. <laughs> okay, but but can Fallon dunk? Uh, in the <laughs> You know what? In the, this is fun. Now, okay. For Gaslight, can <laughs> Fallon dunk? <laughs> yes. yes. Figuratively or literally? Because I'm saying, like, as a, as oh, a lead no, no, singer, no. he figuratively absolutely no, can. No, don't, don't put me in basketball. Of course, of course, figuratively. There is no one in the Gaslight Anthem who can dunk a basketball. I would come the closest, maybe, and, and <laughs> it's not even close. Like I told you a couple weeks ago in text... I'm modeling my game on like, you know, Jokic these days. No jumping and <laughs> and we're good. Because of exactly that little cautionary tale you told yeah. of playing pickup basketball is like my biggest fear about going out and doing what I'm doing again. So Yeah, I, uh, don't 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 follow my lead. That was a big mistake. What I'm gonna do is just when I feel fatigued, sorry, I'm out. That's it. That's the that's the thing I take from that. But what is the comp for Brian as a basketball player? It's really interesting because I think he has a couple rings, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, like like you know, like a Michael, like a LeBron James is like 
like Dave Grohl or something, someone who is not only an amazing like songwriter from it, but like a diplomat and like someone who's going to like open schools, you know, I don't want to call Brian like, uh, he's, he's much more, he's like an Allen Iverson or something. You know what I mean? Who, who like won a <laughs> ring, you know, yeah. he like fucks things up and, you know, is a little more of a disruptor, maybe changing stuff a little more than someone who is your standard, like, you know, ground and pound, like, like I'm Billy Joe Armstrong. I just like, you know, this is what I do every season. Oh, Billy, you know? Billy Joe Armstrong would be, would be Iverson. That's like, right. <laughs> oh yeah. Just okay. kind of, fr- kind of frantic, uh, b- uh, little bombastic, like, like, you know, probably a little polarizing high usage. Um, See, but know, this not- goes into our, like Billy Joe, if we're going to make the Billy Joe comp, he has to have a ring. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, and Iverson. So we need we need like a volume shooter who's got a ring. Yeah, yeah, that's who I'm thinking. I like my head goes like Gilbert Arenas. I'm like, who is who actually won rings playing like that? They Steph Curry. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think of Steph as volume though because he's so efficient. They're both from the Bay Area guys, right? Steph and Billy Joe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) Billy Billy Joe, I think by uh, by by. a lot longer. Um, I don't know. I don't think he was born there, but he definitely like spent a lot of his youth there. Steph obviously grew up in in more in Charlotte. Um, actually, no, but Benny, you, you hit on something a second ago. The Grohl thing stayed with me because I think of like the first Foo Fighters album, Grohl played every instrument. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like, you mentioned LeBron, like LeBron could play every position. LeBron can do everything there is to do on the court. And so LeBron is Dave Grohl. That's, Early that's Foo Fighters is a lot like, and this is no diss to the guys in Sunny Day Real Estate and stuff like that. They're great players. But I'd say like early Foo Fighters is akin to like those early Cavs teams that went to the finals. You know what I mean? Like that mm. was that was people riding the back a little bit. And then you had Zindrunas Ilgauskas, Booby Gibson, you know, like uh, what, Larry Hughes? <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Williams, com- yeah, like a little Anderson complimentary Paris, cast there, but you know yeah. it was it was on the back, and then he eventually like, oh, like here's I got Taylor Hawkins now, you yeah. know here's my here's my point guard here's you that's know. his Dwayne Wade, yeah, that's his Wade, yeah, Taylor yeah. Hawkins is Dave Grohl's Dwayne Wade, oh, yeah, oh, and then Pat this. Smear is Chris Bosh, I guess, sure. Sure. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then the fact that I can't remember the bass player's name, Nate. Nate. Okay. Yeah. He's he's like Udonis Haslam, right? Like he's been there the entire Just steady. time. Just steady. Yeah. Twenty. You years, don't notice like, him, and then you go yeah. like, oh yeah, that guy. He's kind of important. Even when he retires, he's going to work in the front office of the food. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Do you like think a, you think they have a? You think there's like within the band there's like hashtag foo culture, like heat culture. Y- uh, there's some version <laughs> of it. Yeah. It's there's less definitely jo- a grow, grow it's culture. It's less Dude, jockey and sporty, that, but yeah, for sure. There's got to be no, something but like that. Listen, if there was ever a band that you would say would be like the Heat and like a, a Riley-esque kind of like, we do things a certain way, and if you can't hack it, then you don't belong here, that would be Grohl's band, right? Because like he's... Yeah. By all accounts, he's kind of a control freak and a perfectionist, but it, like in all the best ways. The dude's awesome, but... Like it's it's he, I think he runs a pretty tight ship, right? Yeah. Oh no. I mean, and then the the stories of what happened, you know, a, a different drummer, William Goldsmith, recorded right. the drums for Color in the Shape, 
And Dave Grohl essentially re-recorded him and yes. told him, you know, you can now be our touring drummer if you'd like, but I re-recorded yeah. your parts. Like that's some Pat Riley shit. Right? Yeah, that's like get yeah, on that's the coming boat down or... at firing Stan Van Gundy and uh, coaching the it. team to the championship. <laughs> yeah, wow, I think we figured something out. Now, for some reason, though, when you brought up Miami, I thought of Metallica. Ooh, like like one of those two. Maybe they're like the Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Pop, they, they, pop yeah. but with really long hair. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, we could go on for for days with this. This is fun. <laughs> Well, to keep to keep it in the music realm, I was curious, especially back in the day when you're a beat person, and you know, pre-COVID, when I'm sure you're you're in locker rooms with people just out of the shower and boom boxes and shit like that. What's been like the best locker room or interview music surprise? Who like where you're like, oh, get out of here! Like Greg Ostertag listens to REM, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, have you had any like like surprise musical moments in That's, that way? Okay, so fun question. I don't have a lot of things that I can pull from on that because it's all like, but there's a few things that stand out right off the bat. So one is obviously, especially, you know, uh, given the era we're in, most locker room music or like when guys are like sh- getting their shots up at games or practice, whatever, it's more hip hop than anything else. And like, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm not versed in hip hop. Like, uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, um, the age I am, it just missed me like by about a few <laughs> years. Um, suppose I could have caught up at some point, but like, I'm, I'm like an all, you know, rock alternative rock kind of guy. Right. So there's a lot that if I'm curious, I'm like, oh, this sounds good. What is this? I thank God for Shazam. Right. Cause like, especially as a writer, I want to be able to describe scene to people and vibe like after a championship or before a big game or whatever. And if there's music playing on the court or in the locker room, thank God for Shazam on the phone. Cause then I could go like, Oh, okay. This is like, you know, some Jay-Z song that I don't know. Um, <laughs> this, this happens uh, frequently. Cause this is, you know, this is my, this is my existence now as a middle-aged white dude covering the, covering the league. I mean, um, you live in Brooklyn, Howard. Get a I know Jay Z records, you know. I know. I, I should. I should. I should, <laughs> I should, I should have. Should have brushed up on my biggie. Um, so, but the funny thing though is, like, given just generationally and everything else, you would expect like it's going to be more modern, modern day music in the locker rooms, and and clearly a lot of hip hop. The Spurs were in town to play the Knicks a few weeks ago. I went because I wanted to see Wembenyama play. And I'm standing outside the Spurs locker room just chit-chatting with some folks. And so I, I didn't go in the locker room that night. But I could hear the music blasting. And it was Zeppelin. And I, and I turned to one of the Spurs beat writers. Uh, it might have been Jeff McDonald, who's a big Gaslight fan, by the way. Um, and I said, is this... Normal? Like, I don't think I've ever heard Zeppelin in 27 years covering the league. I don't think I've ever heard Zeppelin blasting from a locker room. And he said, yeah, actually, that is the norm now. And it was, I'm going to screw this up. I'm trying to remember. I think it might be Keldon Johnson. Yes. I can't remember which player it was. I can't, wow. I, 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 but one of one of their one of their guys is, is like, got, for his, for his generation, probably more eclectic taste. Oh, um, I, I you that. never hear classic rock in an NBA locker room. You I'm might gonna need confirmation arenas. that was Keldon Johnson or not, because if it is, like he just got a lifelong fan. I already kind of liked his game, you know? 
That was that was wild. Like I'd never I had never heard that. Um, Wait, was it like the, stairway cashmere? No, you- um, it was not cashmere. <sighs> I don't think it was the immigrant song. I can't. I'm, I'm trying to remember. It was like definitely like a like a you know it it wasn't even like what like a I don't think it was even a top five Zeppelin oh. song. It was just one of those where it was like, oh, this is definitely Zeppelin. But right. I, I like I don't I'm not I can't remember if it was even a song I definitely knew. Um, yeah, tell me Keldon Johnson's like, listen, sorry, I listened to Coda. I think yeah. it's good. I think it's good. So uh, it's it's great. It's 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 fun like days like that where you can just like have that kind of like be surprised, like, oh yeah. wow, I did not did not see that coming. But um yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything else. But I I do have one other like intersection of like covering the beat and music story, which is in 2001, the Lakers are playing the Sixers in the finals. We're in Philadelphia. And like, you know, Sixer fans, man, Philadelphia sports fans are fucking brutal, right? Like oh. they're, they are just, they are relentless. They could be pretty vicious. We just had the Dave Lakers, Haas on last week trying to, you know, state their case. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's but the argument's thin, Howard. It's thin. It's, thin. <sighs> it's, it's, it's tough. So, <laughs> so Philly fans are being, as you would expect, brutal. So this is so that's the old two three two series, right in the finals. So right. it's the middle three games are in Philly, which means we're spending an entire week in Philadelphia, which means the Lakers are there long enough to get potentially harassed, which they were. Rick Fox, one of my all time favorite guys that I've covered, Rick Fox, small forward for the Lakers and the Shaq and Kobe teams. Mm-hmm. Rick had tickets to U two at the same arena. The the now called the whatever it's called the Wells Fargo Center or whatever yeah, I think uh-huh. back in the day you, so that that arena has changed names a thousand times changed sponsors a thousand spectrum times spectrum back then spectrum it, I think it might have been when it was the first Union Center otherwise okay. known as the FU Center <laughs> so Rick Fox has tickets to U two at one of the off nights between games U two is playing between games like oh wow uh, between games three and four, I think it was, That's or four crazy. and five. So they like broke down the court to set up U two. Yeah, wow. yeah. And so Rick Rick didn't want to go because he 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 felt like he was going to be putting himself in harm's way. And so he gave oh. me his tickets, and I was and I was like being the the you know professional ethical journalist I am. Like Rick, this is really nice of you, but I I, I got to pay you for these. He's like, no, I'm not taking it. I Rick's making like five six million or whatever, I'm, yeah, and these yeah. are like hundred dollar tickets. I'm like, dude, I got it. He he wouldn't take it, but so I got Rick Fox's ticket. I saw you two. I think I was with John Black, the uh, the Lakers PR guy at the time, and we were in a section where like um, like who was there? Like uh, oh, I'm trying to remember, but there was like it was definitely the seats that a bunch of people had bought from NBA and Sports World. Oh, okay, um, and like they were decent. Like they weren't like fantastic seats, but they were pretty good. So anyway, first time, maybe second time I ever got to see you too. Um, because of Rick Fox and because Sixer fans are mean. <laughs> sure are. Did you get the impression Rick Fox was like a proper U2 fan or it was just like yeah. cool? Th- yeah. yeah. No, I think, I, think, uh, I think he wanted to go. And I think he was, he was you Do know. Do you think his about, instinct was right? Like he would have had a rough night? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. That was the series against Iverson, right? Where he had yeah. the one game where he went insane. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, the step over of, of yeah. Ty Lue, that's uh-huh. game uh-huh. one. They they beat the Lakers. So the Lakers had gone into the finals undefeated in the playoffs. And the Sixers take game one in LA. The Lakers win game two. They go to Philly and the Lakers win the next, uh, you know, three in a row to, to make it essentially a right. gentleman's sweep. I said this recently to someone. I'm like, Iverson has to have 
the biggest free pass for not winning. Literally, oh, yeah. like like one game that he took from the Lakers since he kind of did it single handedly and threw his body all over the court, and it was it was an insane thing to watch. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody get more like real estate out of one game. Well, and and one finals run besides, right? Because you take. I'm not saying take that out, but look at the rest of his career, especially his postseason career. His postseason career is abysmal aside from that run. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that someone uh, told me long ago about that team was we always think of it as Iverson carried this otherwise lackluster roster to the finals. And there's some truth to that. His scoring and his shot making, his, his, his just uncanny ability, especially at his size, to do what he did is why they made the finals. But it's equally true that the rest of that roster, Dikembe Mutombo, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, Tyrone Hill, like uh, Raja Bell, my, my now podcasting partner at The oh, Ringer. That's right, yeah. Um, like those guys did all the things that Iverson couldn't or wouldn't. It, yeah. Like play defense and keep That's the ball right. moving at times and so that it wasn't just Iverson dominating. He had a bunch of bass players and drummers out there. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, but like, but really great bass players and drummers. Yeah, talented rhythm section on those Sixers teams. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. I mean, speaking of Philly, okay, like, what? You know, you've been around this so long. You know, what? What do you think internally, like emotionally, really drives this like immense loyalty and love of sports fandom and? You know, I know so much of it can be beautiful and needed escape for people. And like, you know, how much of it do you think is that? And how much in reality is like bread and circus, you know, considering salaries and all that? Hmm. I don't know. It's interesting, right? We we create and by we, it's, the, you know, the public, but also people in my line of work, the media, we do, we create these kind of uh, almost mythological kind of narratives about like, well, Detroit's a steel town and Philly's this rough and tumble town and, and New York. <laughs> right. And so we, we ascribe these traits to the fans and then to the teams in those cities. And sometimes it matches up like, oh, the bad boys Pistons, perfect for, for Detroit in that era, right? The 90s Knicks, perfect New York kind of vibe. Sure. And even the current, yeah. the current Knicks win a lot with defense and grit. And they're, they're not like typical of those nineties Knicks, right? Not a lot of glamor in those nineties Knicks. Yeah. And Patrick Ewing was their only true star. And everything else is just a bunch of John Starks's and, yeah. and, you know, and, and Masons and Oaks. And, um, and this current Knicks team is a little bit of that. This is not a glamor team by any stretch. And like Jalen Brunson was, you know, second round pick who's like willed his way into stardom. And, sure. um, you know, Julius Randle was like, you know, it's a lottery pick, but he's not like, like these, these are, these are like, like these are New York kind of players. And so like yeah. it matches up sometimes. And I, and so we, I struggle with how much we are overdoing some of these narratives <laughs> and, and projecting or trying to make the pieces fit or make the picture fit our impressions versus how much of it is real. But some of it just, uh, just aligns. Right. And like, uh, Philly is kind of a tough town, and they do appreciate tough teams. Um, that said, if you had given them, like, I don't know, who are, like, the most, like, if you had given them the the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant lineup and made that a Sixers lineup instead, would they suddenly, like, turn on them because they're not, like, gritty and 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 muscular and, and right. brutish enough? Or right, would they just right, love right. the fact that they were kicking everybody's ass? <laughs> yeah, but then sometimes you're right. Like, there is just these perfect, you know, mold of, like, 
like, why is Steph Curry just, like, built to be a star in the Bay Area? But he is. Like, it's like a perfect fit. Jeter was a guy who just, like, you know, this is the way you survive in New York for 20 years. You don't say a fucking thing. And you just play it cool, <laughs> like Derek Jeter, yeah. you know? But then I wonder, like you said, you know, in the case of New York, you're right. I mean, historically, the most loved people besides for, you know, after Joe Namath or like, uh, you know, Walt Clyde Frazier, some, some, some cool people like that, you know, for the most of my lifetime, the beloved sports figures in New York are like, for the most part, publicly, these really like understated kind of figures and these kind of like, you know, the the people who survive well here are those like grind them lunch pail kind of people. Um, but how much did New York media like create that? Like, do you have the opportunity to be like a, a freer person with your words and, and how you go about things if you're in like a San Antonio media market? rather than New York, like, uh, just as far as exposure goes. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I do think that players and and coaches and others who work for teams have to adjust to their surroundings to an extent, right? Um, you know, they're, they're like, you've got so many eyeballs on you and so many microphones when you play in New York or coach in New York that it, I think it makes guys more self-conscious, more mindful of, of what they might say and do. Um, on the other hand, as, as a pro athlete in this city, you could just blend in. Like, you could just walk down the street and not worry about anybody bothering you because New Yorkers right. are just numb to everything. Like, no one's yeah. going to, no one's, like, I remember it was my first, you know, like, I don't know, first, second year in New York, the U.S. Open's in town. I'm walking through Midtown and, like, Serena Williams is standing outside, like on a sidewalk, just chit-chatting with somebody. I must have been near the ho- like the hotel or something where all the players, all the or all the tennis uh, players were were staying. And there was not like some massive crowd formed that yeah. people just walking by, minding their own business is fine. Like, oh, okay, there's some, and you see this all the time, right? Like I've I've seen like in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, like I, I've seen you know actors from Billions. I've seen I've seen Alec Baldwin just sitting at a at an outdoor. Uh, like a coffee shop with some outdoor tables that they just stuck on the, on the side. I wouldn't, I can't call it an outdoor cafe. That would be giving it too much credit. It's, it's just like a couple tables sitting outside of the coffee shop and Alec Baldwin's out there. And it's like, no one's bothering Alec Baldwin. It's just yeah. New York. Like you can, yeah, yeah. you can just live your life. That's the style. I mean, so that being said, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I bring up the bread and circus thing almost, you know, I'm a little bit of a spurned season ticket holder right now. We, we discussed this where, <laughs> You know, there's a lot of reasons I don't have my seats anymore, but let's just say I find the entire um, uh, the entire apparatus a little uglier than I did before this started. You know, and how much like do you think uh, you know as a fan you should hold these teams accountable as like entertainment products? You know, like it really is a financial transaction in the end, where we're buying tickets we're buying merchandise based on a product you're offering. Now, like, you know, when do you, do you put team loyalty aside, city loyalty aside, you know, family loyalty, all the things that make you a fan and go like, hey, I don't want to watch this anymore until it's like good again. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, that's tough. It's interesting. Like, I, you know... One, in, in my adulthood, I have not been a, a fan, you know, of any team or anything for a very long time. And so I, it's, it's, it's harder for me to relate to, admittedly, than when I was younger and was like all invested, emotionally invested in like the 49ers. That's another part of my origin story that we were touching on earlier. But like right. the Niners were my team and that's the one team I ever lived and died with. Um but in my in my most of my adult life as a sports writer, where I'm completely emotionally divorced from that part of of you know the sports uh, experience, like my job is to hold people accountable as a journalist, right? So like I I want to be able to talk to to the GM of a team I'm covering on a on a you know semi regular basis. I believe that those people need to be accountable to the public via, via us. And answer questions about, hey, you guys underachieved this year. We, uh, hey, that draft pick uh, didn't work out. Or, hey, that that's free agent signing actually worked out great. Tell us about, you know, run a few victory laps if you want. Right. Um, and I would expect that the people who are reading my work or listening to my pods or whatever, uh, they want to hear that stuff too. And so I do believe that teams should be accountable to the public. I believe that teams, these, this is not a 7-Eleven, right? The, I guess it's, it, you know, it's a franchise, it's a business and it's privately owned, but sports teams are a, are a public trust of sorts. And you can't just say, I'm going to run it however I want. And I don't care about the customers. No, sports fans have an emotional investment that goes way beyond coming in to buy a Slurpee and a pack of gum. Like right. it, it's different. And so, yeah, yeah it, 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 like it, I, I find it, uh, troubling on some level that certain teams insulate themselves so much from the fan bases. Like I think team owners should be available a couple times a year to talk to the media because the media is there on behalf of the public to ask mm. the questions that the fans would ask if they could. I think to a point it lends itself to what I'm saying because there's this like, like you're right. It's like from certain teams you know, there's this expected like fealty, you know, to, to the thing that they're doing, but the people on the other side act in complete accordance with, with corporate ethics, 
You know what yeah. I mean? Not a family thing, not a city thing. You know, they're they're hidden. It's boardroom stuff. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be heard. And they don't want to be held accountable for it, you know? And I think so much of this has been going on and because of the advent of social media and stuff. I mean, that's where I think people my age and younger specifically are like, yeah, you know, I'm a uh, LeBron James fan. Wherever the fuck he goes, I'm going to watch, you know, because that's fun. Um, Instead of being a team fan. Yeah, because the team yeah. might let you down, but you know that your your star, your favorite player, you, you can ride or die with him no matter where he goes. That's right. And you don't have to worry about, right? Like they may let you down too, but in a different way, right? It's not the way, same as yeah. like the team that never hires the right coach or never spends money or won't go into the luxury or, tax. Or the Sixers expecting people to buy tickets for five years as part of some process, you know what I mean? Some <laughs> mythical process or something. They literally sold an entire city on on this, hey, wait for us. Spend your hard work. And now it's semi-panning out. You know what I mean? With one guy who was part of it. It's like... But this is this is where... Uh, so I will, on this one, I will divorce the uh, the business part of it and the fan, what you owe the fan part of it from the sports part of it. So as somebody who's covered the NBA a long time, something I've often said, and I said this during the process as as part of my... I don't want to say rationalizing it, but why I understood what they were doing and I wasn't as appalled by it as some people were, which is this. I saw when I was, you know, covering the Lakers, I saw the LA Clippers just just flailing about for years, right? Never spent yeah. money, uh, never had a plan, just sucked. The Washington Bullets slash Wizards, um, the 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 team in Charlotte, the Hornets, uh, and before the, the Bobcats when they when they mm -hmm. uh, first came back as the Bob, like a bunch of different teams. You and I could name Benny where for a 10-year span or sometimes longer, lose every year, horrible every year, in the lottery every year, not by design, but by sheer incompetence, yeah, lack of vision. Yeah. I would rather have a five-year run like Philly did where there was a plan yeah, yeah. Then that it'd be sure. shitty by incompetence. And it did get them two players who could have been perennial NBA guys. It just so happens that Ben Simmons had a bunch of different issues, physical and otherwise, that yeah. drove a wedge between him and them. And he hasn't been sure. the same player in Brooklyn. But Joel Embiid was a is the, the reigning MVP. Yeah. Like if the point the point is to get multiple uh, bites at the apple, which is multiple chances to pick high in the draft because the draft is a crapshoot and for every Joel Embiid, there might be two Julia Locafors. And so yeah, you yeah, need yeah, multiple yeah. bites uh -huh. to get the... So like the fact that the Sixers are perennially uh, in the running because of Joel Embiid means it worked to me. But That's I true. can divorce that from no, the I, fan experience of having to yeah. sit through a bunch of shitty basketball. For well, I think years. as a fan too, no, you're right. There is a different framing in like... Like, if I'm a Chicago Bulls fan right now, I'm fucking pissed, right? Because it's like I'm just watching this thing that costs a lot of money, that's spinning yeah. its wheels, and you know exactly what you're going to get, and it's only going to depreciate in value Yes, as you watch it. That is like a horrifying thing to watch. Okay, and the if last I give you, Benny, let me so, cut you off. If I gave you the yeah. choice— to uh -huh. be a Bulls fan of the of the Zach Levine, Vucevic, yeah. DeMar DeRozan era, uh -huh. or a fan of the process era Sixers, which would Wait. you choose? The one that has the lower or the higher floor mm -hmm. or the one with the higher ceiling? Like the like because the Bulls thing was like 
built in obsolescence. They were never yeah, going to be right. much better than a seventh seed. No, it's a totally valid point. And, and honestly, a hundred percent, I would be the, the Philly. Um, and I can say that even with some real, like the team I'm watching this year for the Nets, I know this team can't win a championship. I knew that starting the season. I even know it now, even watching them play well, I'm not convincing myself they can win a championship, but I am much more emotionally invested in this team than I was the teams of the last two years. You know, mm. these teams where I was constantly just being like toyed and teased around with, and there's something in watching a young player get better. This is one yes. of ours. It's going through the thing. I'm watching him get better. And that is like, in a lot of ways, how you build fan loyalty. And it's the reason my son wants a Nick Claxton jersey right now. All right, I want to talk about this for my own edification because one of my favorite sports stories ever is uh, Doc Ellis of the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, accidentally taking acid and pitching a no-hitter. Um, <laughs> I always think of like, you know, the back in the... I don't know if, you know, you came at a time when, you know, pro athletes were really starting to take care of themselves and kind of miss the real smoke and drinking age, but... Did you ever hear any great stories from like the generation ahead of you of like players just playing blasted drunk, high, like anything fun like that, drugs and sports? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, no, I, I, I like, you know, in my own time covering the league, there have been things like, I, I was at a shoot around once of a team that I won't say who it was, but I was, it was a team that was in the playoffs. It was, and it was uh, the, so the morning shoot around for people who don't know, but for NBA teams uh, on game day, you have a, a brief practice, which is referred to as a shoot around. It's usually in the morning, maybe like 10, 11 AM. Part of the point is to get guys out of bed and force them to actually get up and do something. <laughs> right. um, Cause they might've been out the night before. And this forces them to get in the gym and you do a, like a walkthrough. It's usually not a full on, practice it's more of, of of a walkthrough right um although some teams will, will crank up the intensity a little bit but um and anytime a team has a full team event practice shoot around whatever we the media are invited and, and are by league mandate have what we call media availability so i walk into the locker room on the morning of a playoff game to go chat with a couple of, of players and I could absolutely smell alcohol on somebody's breath. Okay. Um, that that's not something scandalous. That shouldn't even be anything shocking. It's it's the next morning after they've probably you know obviously the guys go out like <laughs> yeah. this happens. Yeah, but like that's as close as you get is what I'm saying to realizing or or seeing or, or smelling in this case evidence of 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 a lifestyle going on in terms of like. And there's been guys who who certainly have like missed practice, and it was like, oh yeah, uh, Joe blows out today for personal reasons or had an upset <laughs> stomach, and it's like, no, he was hungover. Yeah, and it, you know, whatever. You let that stuff go by the wayside, and, and most of the time, it doesn't even really matter. Um, like the, the the NBA's like really bad drug past is long before my time because that was yeah. like mostly like late seventies, maybe early eighties. Um, doesn't mean that does stuff doesn't happen, but like. You know, like, you, you know, a lot of guys are smoking weed because that's like, you're either, you have to, there's this interesting aspect of the NBA that you don't realize until you've been covering it and you're living the lifestyle in terms of like, not their lifestyle, but just the hours that you keep. Where I get off deadline 
at like midnight or one in the morning sometimes after like finally writing my last fi- story mm-hmm. for the last edition of the paper yeah. or the web uh-huh. or whatever. And you, you'll be able, you'll be able to relate to Spenny. You, you have this adrenaline that is still going. Yes. You can't just go back to the hotel and go to sleep. And the players finish playing at like 10, 1030. Then they meet with the media. Then they go, and now they're going to have a late dinner. They, the winding down is the thing. And yes. so there's two ways, or there's more than two ways, but there's few ways to do that. And so, uh, Weed is one way and alcohol is another way. And at least the weed doesn't also come with like, you know, weight gain and all kinds of other stuff that goes <laughs> right. with with beer and alcohol. Um, so it shouldn't be a shock to anybody that there's a certain amount of self-medicating that goes on. And I've, I've talked to players about this just conversationally, that you, you have to be able to eventually try to shut down after this really intense competition mm-hmm. in the evening and you you, you got to go get some sleep because you might have another game the next day or you're getting on a plane the right. next morning or whatever. Um, so that's just part of it. Yeah, that's so interesting because it, it is something that comes up a lot. And, you know, it's not only the, the late nights, it's also, you know, if you're like an insomniac or someone who trouble, you know, has a trouble with sleep or has trouble with like, you know, some mental health stuff. One of the first things people throw at you always is is routines. You know what I mean? Get yourself like healthy routines where you do the same kind of thing every day that you know is good for you. Yeah. But when you're living this traveling lifestyle, you know, one night you're going back to a hotel, one night you're going back to your own home, one night you're getting on a plane to, you know, travel across the country or something like that. So I can imagine like, it's not like, okay, 10 o'clock, you know, I closed my book and turn off my light and took my half of no. melatonin. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes when I hear people tell me their remedies for these types of things and I connect it to my lifestyle, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, it's like, it's like when I'm in Sweden looking for like something, the equivalent of NyQuil, you know, <laughs> and they're like, no, we don't make that here. I'm like, come on. Give me the good stuff, guys. You know, stop with this elderberry. I need something with alcohol in it. I got to go to sleep. Elderberry. (laughs) Um, So I can imagine like that definitely must really, really lend itself to some of the sort of like addiction problems and, you know, wives of excess and stuff like that we've seen with athletes, especially, I mean, it's, it's just as bad or even worse as far as the, the age is concerned. I mean, you know, do you see that differently now from when you first started covering the league till now just just by being a, an adult who's raised a kid, you know, like where the, the kind of pressure is put on people so young? Does it does it feel uh, more critical to, to help them get through it now that that you've raised your own kid? Like, and do you think those apparatuses are like in place for athletes to like get through this stuff now? Seems better. No, it's a really great question because, you know, when I first started covering the league in 97, you know, that's Kobe's going into his second year, right? And he made the the jump from high school straight to the NBA. And that's an era where you got Tracy McGrady and Jermaine O'Neal and some other success stories. But then you also had like Leon Smith and and Corleone Young and and a bunch of guys who, you know, washed out and things went very badly for and, and in some cases had severe personal issues. And it's not just because they were 17 or 18 when they made the jump. It's that also, I don't know that the NBA really was equipped at that time to 
handle these kids who were still kids and were now existing in a world of 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 men of of you know athletes who were 10 15 even 20 years maybe older than them and there's 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 a social element of it there's a physical element of it there's an emotional element of it for sure mm. um you know it's it's one of those you know hard truths you learn as as you know uh just a person growing up in this world period that like you get to 25 and you look back and you go man i was a fucking moron at 20 yeah. and yeah. At, at a 20 you go i didn't know shit at 15 yes. and every 5 years you look back and realize how little you knew and and how dumb some of the things you said or did were and the years you're talking about are so massive cuz like huge the difference between like 50 and 60 pales in comparison to the difference between like 20 and 30 you know, or 10 like, and 20. Yeah, or 10 and <laughs> yeah. 20, right. Like, like the things yeah. you get in that decade are so substantial, yeah. But think about it through the lens of like a, a, a great athlete, right? Like you can make it to the NBA or, or you know, in tennis or wherever. If you are a great athlete, you can make it at, at 17, 18. It doesn't mean you are emotionally equipped or fully developed otherwise to handle all that comes with it. And, and who would be? Who should be? And so one of the things I've learned in my time covering the league, and I've always tried to keep this in mind, and it's something I try to convey to not only younger media members, but to fans, is we got to give guys some grace when they come into a league, even now where you have to be a year removed from high school. So guys aren't coming in at 17, 18. Now they come in at 19. But 19 is still a pretty, that's still pretty young. Very few of us are fully formed emotionally and otherwise at 19. Oh and my so God. the shit I would have said if I had a platform at 19. Oh my God. I never would have made it. Imagine if, if, if you and I had cameras on us all the time at oh. that age and everything you said was on the record. I would have said kill Whitey more than once. I would have been canceled. <laughs> Easy. It, it, it's, you know, uh, there's some downside there potentially. Um, <laughs> so the point being that I think we have to give guys some grace and also just remind ourselves, like they yeah. are not just of a certain age, but they are growing up with all this scrutiny, everything they do on the court and off. And also the the, the second piece of that is don't judge a player, whether as a player or as a person too quickly when they're in their first couple of years in the league, because who you are as a player or as a person at 19 won't be the same as who you are, hopefully, at 23, 24, 25, sure. we all evolve. Now, some players do not evolve as players and sometimes as people. But um, it, it's it's important to remember that there is there's often a growth process that's, that has to happen, that's going to happen. And especially for those of us who have been around long enough to remember when guys went to three or four years of college before coming to the NBA, when they're coming in as, as one and dones, there's, there's that much less development that's gone on before right. they all, are all of a sudden, you know, on TV every night. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, also, I think that that grace period needs to be awarded to even a singular press conference or a week of press conferences where someone's acting grumpy. And, you know, I've been yeah. in these situations where, you know, someone is, uh, you know, but like like people are waiting, people want to talk and, and there are fans around and, you know, they feel like, and they'll walk away, you know, being like, oh, why didn't this person talk to me? Or why did this person not talk to me for long or like why did they seem grumpy and it's like it's because their fucking cat died yes. at home and they don't know you yeah so they're not gonna tell you about their cat but they love that cat and they're having a shitty night and 
and that's that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and and there's always going to be this like backside to somebody that like like you don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? And if someone has some track record or something like that, you know, I do think a little a little grace would be nicer, especially these days, right? For sure. For sure. And, and fans feel like, you know, like there's, they're, 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 um, they're heroes, whether it's sports or otherwise, owe them something, right? Like I buy your Jersey, I buy your album, I buy whatever. And like, I support you. And like, I've got this opportunity to say hello or ask for an autograph or whatever. They, they feel a certain investment emotionally and, and financially. And so like, and I'm sure you've been in those situations, right? Like the, everybody wants a piece of you at some point. And yeah, you, you may not always be in the right mood to, to reciprocate. You may appreciate the support, but oh, totally. sometimes, remember, you just want, sometimes you just want to go curl up in a ball. That's right. And I'm Mike Conley at best. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? The ticker tape, like, like, you know, sometimes that's where, you know, the, you know, the drummers, you know, often in my type of situation are like, yeah, I'm good back here. You know what I mean? Because all that LeBron James shit going on up front. Like I'm good on that, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so do you think like, it seems like mental health in sports has, has come a long way. Um, I mean, have you ever like talked to somebody one-on-one -on -one doing an interview where you walked away just being like, wow, like that person's depressed or like that person has anxiety. Like, like where there's just like a really like obvious, like kind of clinical thing that's going on that, just people aren't really dealing with. Yeah. But I mean, no different than probably anything else. Like, you know, I'm sure yeah. you've had, you know, conversations with people, whether complete strangers or somebody you met at a party and like you pick up on things. And sure. so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've been doing this long enough. Like, I, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people I've interviewed players, coaches, GMs, scouts, owners, everything over the last, you know, 27 years. But like, um, yeah, like some people like, oh, that guy's a little quirky or, oh, that guy's a little brooding or that guy's uh, a little too intense or that guy can't string together two coherent sentences. Uh, I wonder what he's on. Um, yeah, it happens, but like, I don't know that it's like the, the proportion of those kinds of things is probably no different than any other walk of life. If I worked in an office, you know, in a, for a, a company of 500 yeah, people, I'd yeah, probably yeah. have the same spread of experiences, right? But I think something you, you you mentioned is really important, Benny, which is like, and it goes back to the discussion about the the one in, or the um the young guys coming in with, in the prep to pro era too. The NBA today is way better equipped than it was when I first started covering it to support young players. They have a lot more, they call it like player development staff. And it's not always player development, like, oh, let's work on your jump shot or your free throws. It's uh, life skills type stuff. It's support. It's emotional and logistical support. Um, teams have a lot, or they've built out that area at the team and league level far better uh, today than they ever had when I first started covering the league. So when it comes to mental health or when it comes to just dealing with, you know, hey, 19-year-olds or other young people trying to figure out how to operate in this, in this world, um, the NBA does a much, much better job today than they did, you know, 20-something years ago. So that's that's been a positive thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's beneficial anyway, right? I mean, these... These kids are your, you know, investments. Yeah. <laughs> like like your your whole thing is rewarded by by people, you know, being in their best state, right? So yeah. as a both a business matter and a human matter, it's the right thing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. All right. So let's get to this list that I, I was talking about. Okay. 
So I didn't want to do, obviously, I'm sure you've been a part of hundreds, if not thousands. I listen to them half the time, shit, um, of, of these top, you know, five, 10, hundred lists of the best players of all time. There's so much arbitrary stuff. So let's do a truly, truly subjective one where we're going to do our starting five all-time personal favorites. Your favorite player at each position, uh, regardless of how good they were. Uh, It could be purely sentimental, someone you just love to root for at each position. So you want to start at the point guard or you want to start with bigs? No, we can start at point. So this one, I got to admit, this yeah. is a lot harder for oh, me than it probably seems. I thought sounds. about like, this all day, forgetting <laughs> to even prepare other questions. I'm like, shit, how much do I like Andre <laughs> Miller? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the difficulty for me is, uh, like, I did not grow up watching a ton of NBA. I grew up at, like, I grew up in the Bay Area. The Warriors sucked and i think they were on like one of those like they might have been one of like the uhf channels like on the oh, <laughs> old really? tv like i wasn't there wasn't a lot of warriors on um and we did not have cable when i was a kid so um i, I didn't there was not a lot of nba on in, in my household um and so my my earliest memories of of not memories i don't want to sound like like i was five when I first started tuning in a lot more often was probably in my like late college to post-college years. So now we're already into like the nineties. So that was the bulls era. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I start covering the league in 97 professionally. So now I'm not watching anything as a fan would I'm watching everything as a journalist. And so it's, it's not to say that you can't have favorites. It's just to say that like, when I think about who I really love to watch, it's automatically skewed toward the stars. So I probably don't have a lot of Andre Millers. In fact, I don't have any Andre Millers. On no, this that's list. okay. Yeah, I mean, but that um, makes perfect sense, especially in yeah. what we were talking about before. You're the classic example of a teamless fan. So your yeah. perspective is is quite different from mine, which should be great for this list. Yeah, like if I were, um, if I had grown up a Nets fan in the last 10 years of them being in Brooklyn... And let's say they moved here, they got here in 2012. So let's say that I was like a 15-year-old living in Brooklyn, Yeah, loved the NBA, and now I got a team. Like, who would I have liked on that first team? Like, I I don't know. Like, that wasn't a particularly, like, you know, uh, that wasn't a... That wasn't a I'd like, but a few years later when Spencer Dinwiddie came in, like, I think I would have really loved, like, I would have loved rooting for Spencer Dinwiddie as, as a fan. Yeah. In a different way than I as a journalist look at him and go like, oh... You know what? I, I right. liked Dinwiddie. Smart right. guy. Great interview. But should he be starting? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but I'm going to start looking at him a little more critically, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just different. It's no, different. I get it. I get it. Point guard, I'm going with Steph because yeah. like, listen, Benny, in the course of my career, like there's all these different ways you start to learn how to interpret the game, write about the game, talk about the game. And I think one of the most important things I've I've realized is just that Win, lose, or otherwise, there's just no replacing or no, there's no substitute for guys who just make you feel something when you watch, even if you're not a fan. So I could sit here on my couch as a completely emotionally divorced fan who's, who's like a fan of the game but not of teams or players, and I could sit there and go like, oh, my 
God, watching Steph and and then the joy he plays with, mm. the the joy that he spreads to his teammates. Like, how can you not love watching him? You don't have to be a Warriors fan. You don't have to be a Steph fan. You don't have to be a fan of of the way the game is played today with with threes and deep threes and everything. But you cannot help but watch him and feel something. And I think, to a large expense extent, um, sports and basketball, especially, is like the way it makes you feel when you watch a player. And Steph just has this this you know, other element to him that um, it's just, it's just kind of magical. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the few players where like, you know, you can just sit there and I'm like alone on my couch at, you know, 1145 at night, just going like, like, what the fuck was that? You know, like, like where did that, and the the fact that he can still do it after all these years, what, yeah, that's uh, an insanely fun player to watch. So so give me your point guard. This yeah. one was tough for me because, you know, besides for a playing element, there is a personal element to this to me. Now, if we were going to take a straight player, you know, one of the greatest sports days of my life was when I just magically woke up and replaced Stefan Marbury with Jason Kidd. You know, <laughs> like like yeah. what magic? I didn't know it was big, coming. Big moment for your team. You know, I had no idea. And then here we go. This guy I loved in college. I've always loved, maybe it's because I'm a drummer. I've always loved a catcher, a point guard, a, hmm. uh, a hard-nosed defensive lineman, an offensive lineman. I like the gears of the sport. So yeah. Jason Kidd has always been a favorite of mine. And then he winds up with the Nets. It's the most successful run the Nets have ever had in, you know, what, NBA, their NBA history. Um, But the caveat to that, Jason Kidd's a fucking prick, kind of a prick. (laughs) And he's been a prick a bunch of times. And he spurned me more than once as a player and a coach. And he's, he's been parts of things that I don't agree with off the court. And as a man... He's gone down in my book, and I don't love him anymore because of that. Even though as wow. a player, I there's no one I rooted for more. So when I started to pivot away from Jason Kidd, I did peruse in my head by, you know, your Gary Paytons, Tim Hardaway Juniors, Andre Miller. But you know who the winner is for me, Howard? Sean Livingston. Oh, I love that answer. And, you know, I say that because I'm thinking about somebody I've was emotionally invested in. Right. And he was a player that I was following like towards the end of high school. I'm like, wow, look at this comp. Look how tall he is. I'm like, is this magic Johnson who's coming into the league? And then he comes in. He's so much fun. You kind of see this budding thing. And then that awful injury, right? Like one of the worst, uh, on court injuries I've ever seen. Maybe the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. Just devastating and such a young kid who you're rooting for. And, you know, that's one of those ones I walked away from going like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I ever see this fucking guy again. And the fact that he recreated his career with that, like, un, that undefendable little turnaround with the Warriors and helped them win championships and, you know, maybe arguably the most important bench player on those teams for a couple years. I rooted for him so hard. I quite like Sean Livingston. You like that one? That's a that, dude. That is a great call. Also, one of the all-time nice guys. Like, and this is the other you know thing that kind of sometimes skews my views of like when I'm making lists of players. Like, what are your favorite? This favorite? Like, it's 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 during the 
era that I've covered, I always think about like the guys who are good to deal with too. Sean Livingston, just all time nice guy, um, smart dude, really thoughtful. Um, and yeah, like I was in LA when the Clippers drafted him and then he had that grizzly injury, obviously that, that could have, you know, ended his career. And, um, he rebuilds it here first in Brooklyn before the Warriors, uh, snatched him. And, um, and what a great pickup for them. And yeah, I forgot that part of the narrative, which is a a large part of the narrative for me. Yeah. 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 Um, so no, I, I, I love that. Uh, that's, that's, Phenomenal, and, and like I think this is the per this is the perfect use of your exercise that I have completely screwed up. Is is the <laughs> the guy who's not an all time superstar, but there's just something else about him that's like you know there to to to, to love or admire. Um, the Livingston answer is perfect. Oh, listen, Howard, I'm the man of the people. I'll represent that for you. Okay? <laughs> um, all right, let's move to two guards. Who do you got? Oh man, it's interesting. So. Shooting guard used to be the glamour position in this league, right? You think of Michael, you think of Kobe, um, you think of Mitch Richmond, Clyde, Clyde Drexler, more of a, th- a three, I guess. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Reggie Miller back in the day, um, the, the two guard used to be the glamour position and it hasn't been for a very long time now. And a lot of it's because like a lot of twos have become ones, right? Like James Harden would be like a premier two guard of the era, but he's more of a one and like it's, it's you know, People will argue about whether Steph is truly a quote-unquote point guard, but again, positionally fluid era and sure. d- definitions yeah, are changing. Devin Booker sure handles the ball a lot. Yeah, Devin different. Booker handles. And Devin Booker's great. Um, and so, like, it's it's just kind of a funny thing, right? Like, definitions um, and the shooting guard position by and large is not what it used to be. So when I think shooting guard, I'm, st- I'm still thinking of that prototypical like six six to six seven, six five to six seven, long athletic can jump out of the gym, a Jerry Stackhouse type, right? Um, and there's just not a lot of those right. anymore. At least yeah. they're not they're not primary scorers. Um, you know, there's a lot of like three and D guys or just, I don't know, complimentary players at the position. Um, I start my NBA career in 97 covering Kobe. And so I have a natural inclination mm-hmm. to always want to gravitate to him. And as complicated as, of a person and a player as he was, um, there's, there's a soft spot there. But uh, the, the, the very fact is this. It's the 90s when I st- really st- start watching even as a fan. And it's Michael. Like, but like again, the joy thing, and they make you feel something. You did not have to be a Bulls fan to, 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 to just kind of be absolutely mesmerized by Michael Jordan on the court. So I'm, I'm defaulting again to stars. Like if it was not just stars, I, I would like, I could probably come up with some more creative, deeper cuts here, but it's, I, I thought of it in terms of like who made me feel something at a certain position and not necessarily guys I covered, right? Like I didn't cover Michael in person, um, met, met him maybe once ever. Uh, but it's, it's just the way it's the way he played and the way he made you feel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's it's hard to go against it, you know, like cuz as you said, I mean even your description of the prototypical two guard is Michael Jordan, right? Like, <laughs> you know. He's the platonic ideal, right? Yeah, that's it. It's like it's like if you were going to like weird science, you know, create one on your computer, it would look like Michael Jordan. And I think that's one of the reasons I went the way I went, okay? Which is, you know, I didn't wind up a professional rock musician by towing the line. And, uh, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons when I was considering Dwayne Wade, when I was considering Manu Ginobili, who I loved, 
Uh, both those guys are great choices. I had to go with our boy who I kind of took a shot at before. But I got to go with Allen Iverson. Like when that, I loved him at Georgetown. I grew up a Big East fan. So I was always kind of pulling for Georgetown. I loved, you know, the uh, uh, Patrick Ewing to Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, big man, you know, thing that was coming out of there. And then Iverson pops up. Like, who the fuck is this guy? And he's got that attitude and he's so much fun. And for someone at my age watching Iverson, especially as a, a young punk rocker, you know, in his late teens, early 20s, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, this guy's cool. And fuck David Stern, he's an asshole. Go after him, Alan Iverson. <laughs> get him, get him. And even though, like, it didn't really always equate to winning, you know what I mean, in this... Like, I don't know if there's anybody I enjoyed, like, to root for more. Like, I was, you know, even in that, I was very invested in that Lakers-Sixers series. And, I mean, I was rooting for Iverson so hard in that. And that one win just felt so good because it was kind of like a little bit of a, you know what, yeah, there you go. He can win these games, even though he's not going to win these series. So I'm going with AI here. You know, give me the big shorts. Give me the hip-hop. I was, I was here for it. Did you, did you, did you have your, your hair in cornrows back in 2001? <laughs> no, but I can't say there was, no, I'm not even saying it. No, I've never had him. <laughs> never had him, Edward. <laughs> um, I, I, you're, like the Iverson pick is great. Um, it's interesting with him. This is one where I have to like uh, divorce the emotional from the intellectual as a basketball, like, you know, reporter. Like I look at him, and he was compared to Kobe all the time. And I was covering Kobe at the time. And and people would make it out like, oh, there's a debate here. And I'm like, no, there's not. Like Kobe is like far and away better. But Iverson just had he had this um this aura about him. And because he also carried himself a certain way and was so raw in terms of the way he played and spoke, and he was he was just so so brutally honest. He didn't hide anything. Um like it, it, there was something so incredibly real about him. I understood why people gravitated to him, but as a basketball player and as a basketball matter, like he was really inefficient and we didn't talk about efficiency back then because we didn't yeah. have advanced stats back then, right, right. but you could just see it even just in the basics of watching the game or even in straight field goal percentage, you could look at him and go like, dude jacks up a lot of shots Ugh. that don't have a lot of chance of going in. Man, the kind so, of analytical bullshit Allen Iverson would get in 2023. Yikes. It, He'd, he'd be like Trey Young. He'd, he'd be getting destroyed out there. Uh, it, it would be worse. Um, oh, it would be worse. worse. And and I and we probably would not appreciate Russell him in the same territory, way. Like like that that but, bad. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, listen, but that's, I mean, look, I, I lean the other way anyway on this stuff. Like this is where you and I, I, you know, kind of part ways is like, I, I think the efficiency does really matter, sure. not necessarily through the lens of analytics, but just through the lens of there's only so many possessions in a game. And if your best player is taking too many hard shots, yeah. your best player usually can make hard shots. That's how they become one of the best players. Sure. But if you're taking too many of them at the expense of passing the ball or keeping it moving and keeping the defense off balance, you hurt your team. And I think Iverson was guilty of that plenty. Um, that's an unpopular opinion. People love him so much. You cannot, you, you can't criticize it, but it's like, I, I think I there's mean, a certain aspect of him that was very problematic as that, a player. That being said, right. Let's take ourselves back to that team. You were just discussing before where we were like, Allen Iverson didn't have a lead guitar player, right? He's a singer, well, a singer well, out there on his own with, with a bunch of bass players and drummers. Who else was going to put up those shots on that team? 
You know, on like, that like on that team, you could say that. However, um, once upon a time, Jerry Stackhouse was his teammate, and they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't figure it out, so yeah. they traded Stackhouse. And once upon a time, Larry Hughes was his teammate. And I'm not saying Hughes is like the greatest, but like Larry Hughes could put up 2025. Like Iverson made it really difficult to pair him with anybody, and eventually right. he gets traded, and, and he's playing with Carmelo in Denver. But like. Ah, uh, you know, there's it's a two way street there, and um, I know that like LeBron is an impossible comparison point and ideal that I should not apply to anybody else, but LeBron could score every time, just like any other superstar. But LeBron made it a hallmark from day one of his career to be the guy who keeps his teammates involved and is the guy who, to to you know, to his detriment at the time, he was criticized for it. Passes yeah. to Danielle Marshall instead That's of right. taking the shot, like. Iverson could have passed to a, a Danielle Marshall uh, stand-in. A couple more, more times. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm saying. All right. Speaking of LeBron James, let's move on to the three. Yeah. Are, are either of us not going to vote for LeBron James? I'm actually going with Durant. Oh, okay. Okay. Tell me and, why. And narrowly over Scottie Pippen. Oh, all right. Um, Classic three. I didn't, Classic three, I, Pippen. I went Durant over Pippen in part because I didn't want to like, I didn't want to repeat any teams. So I'd like, once yeah, I picked once you got like Steph, I'm not going to go with Clay. If I pick <laughs> Michael, I'm not going with Scotty, sure, right? Sure. Um, like, first of all, so back in the day, like I loved, again, watching a lot of Bulls. Like I'm I'm in Northern California in the 90s where my, my more or less hometown team, the Warriors were generally bleh. Uh, and the Kings you know, I went to college near Sacramento at UC Davis and the Kings were just abysmal. So, um, by default, the rest of the country, if you didn't have a team, you were just like, you became kind of a yeah. de facto Bulls and, fan. And there was, everybody was a Bulls fan. I was even yeah. here with good Knicks teams in the nineties, people yelling and I still love the Bulls. You know, It's like, like now you walk around and you just see people with Steph Curry yeah. jerseys everywhere, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, so Pippen, just the grace in his game, mm. and just the just his 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 body type, he looks just long and lean and quick and agile, and just great player. But that's so Durant is like Pippen, but like after after been put in put in the uh, the stretcher, you know, the the, the rack, whatever <laughs> the, the whatever you call the racks, the like the, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just no stretching him out, right? Yeah. Um, and and Durant, like again, the 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 length and and grace. And the ability to make shots from everywhere. Also, like I, I te- like I've, I've I've put a little bit of a factor in here somewhere in the in the, the pie chart of how I'm picking guys like guys that not only you enjoy watching but seem like good guys. Like right. I like Kevin Durant. Like yeah, good dude. Sure. Um, and um, yeah, and just just again, just 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 like a beautiful game to watch when Kevin Durant's playing. Yeah. So this was tough for me for the same logic as you. The fact that I wanted to put LeBron James here was probably the reason I didn't have Dwayne Wade as my two, um, who is actually mm. maybe probably my favorite. But, you know, I'm the same with Durant. Like, if, if you're going to give me, like, a play-to-play player, like, just give me highlights, just give me this. I, I want Durant. You know, I'm, I'm, I think Durant's game might be more beautiful than LeBron's, right? Like, uh, when I watch... Kevin Durant work somebody off the dribble and take one of these shots from a, you know, from a, a launching point that, uh, you know, nobody in the league can even reach. Um, I'm like, this is just beautiful and unstoppable. And I got to watch it, you know, game to game with him on the nets. And he was maybe the, 
honestly, the saving grace for the couple years of the Nets was the fact that oh, I yeah. got to watch Kevin Durant play a bunch. Um, but that being said, Durant being a good guy, he's like always, I think the biggest knock on Durant at this point for me is the fact that like he, he, he could never really be the guy, right, to me. And and I don't think that's a a really a byproduct of his game as much as he's just an understated dude, right? Like yeah. like that it's and I don't want that to be a knock against a person. He doesn't want to be that guy. And he's not that guy. And 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 I appreciate that about him, but it's also the reason I'm choosing LeBron. Because the older I get, it's it's less about his game, the fact that I'm rooting for him now. Now I'm rooting for just this like this mythical like Marvel, like an Elvis kind of character who I'm just like, I'm pulling for because I've now been watching this person for ah, shit, like close to what, 23, 24 years. In that time, I've gone from like 19 to 43, you know? Um, And it's like consistently a person who once I got over the decision in Miami, which of course was cheesy, has like been making me feel good about my decision this entire time. And (laughs) I think that that should be more rewarded. You know what I mean? The fact that like the variables for LeBron James to fuck up in the last 20 years and the fact that like there hasn't been a major, major fuck up. And for the most part, you could tell your kids to root for this guy uh, it seems like his family loves him. He's almost like become a role model to me, even as like, seems like a great father, right? You know, and I'm watching him work and operate through the world. And I think that's why I'm choosing LeBron now. It's more like uh, less about his game and more just about like who he is. I, this is my lifetime yeah. achievement award, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's totally valid. And like, tr- trust me, like, no, I didn't pick him. And I said, you know, Pippen was second to Durant for me if I'm doing this exercise. But like, I, I've I've enjoyed the hell out of being able to cover, you know, LeBron's career, mostly from a distance. Um, but, you know, and, and he's somebody I've gotten to know a little bit. We've we've had a couple of conversations over the years and he's been really generous with his time when I've needed him for, for some things I was working on. And um, the way he's carried himself, the fact he's been the public spotlight has, since he was basically like, you know, 15 years old, and never any issues, never, you know, like just, just has carried himself, uh, you know, just as you said, like, we just think one of the first things we think about off the court is like, he's just like the consummate family guy, incredibly supportive of his kids. And he's at, you know, their, their, their games. And he's, he's, he's just a great guy. He's a great all around guy. Um, he's put money into schools and, um, yeah. And, and he's one of the best players ever to play the game. Um, but when I was thinking about the aesthetics, right. And I'm thinking about like, are, you know, putting together this starting five that we were doing, I did think about first of like who I most enjoyed watching on some level. Right. So, um, and it's not that I don't, don't enjoy watching him. It's just like that Durant Pippen kind of archetype, um, is, is just kind of more my wheelhouse. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think I could name honestly, like maybe 10 players at the position where in some ways I, I like watching them play more. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of beauty sometimes to watching LeBron, like, barrel into the lane and and do whatever the fuck he's... And you can't stop it. 
You know what I mean? It's like the 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 brotherly shove. Like it's it's not fun <laughs> to watch, but it's super functional and it wins a bunch of fucking rings. But you know, yeah, it's, it's not always the prettiest thing in the world. Um, all right, let's move on to the four. So this one was tough. This one was like there's there's so many directions you could go here, Benny. Yeah. Um there's the old school, more like, you know, power type power forward. There's the the more evolved modern day, like, you know, stretch four, um, the hybrid three, four types. Uh, there's the whatever the Draymond type would be. Like there's like there's so many ways to go here. I th- I think where I would land, I've got like three names in front of me. I'm picking the middle one. I'm going to go Chris Weber. Nice. So in my years covering the Lakers, they had a huge rivalry, rivalry with, with the Kings of that era, right? And they, they famously meet up in the 2002 Conference Finals. It goes seven games, overtime seven games. Um, and the Lakers beat the Kings, you know, narrowly and, and go on to their, win their third championship by beating uh, your New Jersey Nets. That's right. Um, but Weber, I saw a lot of in that era because obviously Lakers and Kings are playing four times a year in the, in the, the regular season. They met, met, I think, maybe three straight years in the playoffs. So I just saw a lot of him. And I just, he had, he played such a smart, I think, cerebral game. He, he's, he, he played in an era where power forward, again, Shooting guard and power forward were the glamour positions in a lot of ways in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, and neither one really are now. But at, th- at that time, you had Chris Webber and a young Kevin Garnett and young Tim Duncan and Antonio McDice so and Carl Wallace Malone still around hanging around. Yet. Rasheed Wallace was around. He's another one. Um, Dirk comes along there Odom. in uh, 98 or whatever. Yeah, Odom was more of a three when he first came in, I think. But yeah, but like... There, there, there was a lot of really just a lot of talent and a diverse kinds of talent there. Mm. And so like I, I took Weber narrowly over, over KG and Dirk. Um, but Weber's passing, I just loved, you know, they, they, they ran that, that Princeton offense, the, the Kings and, um, and Chris Weber was just like, he was this great all around facilitator as well as a scorer Um again, a certain kind of grace to his game. And and yeah, okay, like, you know, you could pick apart the basketball side of like his, you know, was great in the crunch, uh, in the clutch a lot of times, but um, he was fun to watch. I just I just enjoyed him. And again, another really smart, thoughtful guy. Yeah, yeah, great player. I, I feel like too, that's a classic example of just one of those fantastic all-time teams who just didn't get over the hump, you know? Like, like, when you think about that, what was Weber, Divac, Stojakovic, Bibby, Mike what, Bibby, Doug Christie, even, uh, yep. you know, Bobby Jackson off the bench. Like, this, this was a great team and so much fun yeah. to watch. Almost kind yeah. of a revolutionary team, right? As far as the offense was concerned. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, the, they don't get enough credit these days. So, for my four, you know, Garnett is always like a guy who I just, I've always had a Garnett thing, you know, like my my classic guy, hard nose. I never really had, you know, when when he was doing the Boston thing, uh, you know, Nets weren't good, so I didn't care. And then he came to the Nets. He was sort of the only thing to watch <laughs> for a year or two there that yeah. he kind of gave a shit about. I even have uh, uniquely a Nets Kevin Garnett uh, uh, shirt. I might be one of the few people who has one of those. Um, but when I thought really about 
a power forward who I've rooted for the most and who I was the most excited about, it's Kenyon Martin. Mm. And it's just because of a timing thing, right? It's like when the Nets traded for Jason Kidd and began this run, sort of the post Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn run, you know, where, you know, they started to be relevant and just, you know, didn't have enough firepower. And all of a sudden, within like a year or two, you kind of put this core together of Kid, Richard Jefferson, and Kenyon Martin, you know, Twin Collins, you know, some interesting guys like peppered in through there. And I don't know if I've ever been more invested in like a basketball team than I was in like the 02 to 04 Nets. And I remember specifically going to a lot of those games in 2003 when the Nets were running through the playoffs, beat uh, what? Beat the Bucks, beat the Celtics, beat the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, and Kenyon was balling in those series. I think his playoff numbers balloon way over what his regular season numbers are because of those series. And, you know, when he came out of college, he was just this like gritty from Cincinnati, could jump out of the gym, broke his leg, had that kind of weird, you know, red shirt kind of thing going on. Um, Yeah. But I just like, uh, I don't know if there was a player I was more invested in. And even as the years went on and he played for Denver and the Clippers back to the Knicks, I was always pulling for Kenyon Martin. I even pull for his kid now, you know? So I'm taking Kenyon Martin here, even though All right. we got a like one-time it. all-star. One-time all-star at the power I, forward. <laughs> I, I, I like it. Uh, uh, Kenyon Martin, the star of one of the worst NBA drafts in NBA history. Oh, is that right? Who else came out? Oh of yeah, he- that's uh, if I if I pull this up right now, I'm I'm uh, I, I I have to the 2000 NBA draft. Um, Kenya Martin, the number one overall picked, mm-hmm. followed by Stromile Swift, Darius Miles, Marcus Pfizer. Ooh. Like there, no one's no. There's not a franchise star in that group. Although you know, obviously Darius Miles had some great talent, and Kenyon was okay. Um, Mike Miller was fifth in that draft. Mm-hmm. Then Demar Johnson, Chris Mim, Jamal Crawford, my guy, okay. uh, at eight. Um, but yeah, not a, not a great draft. So like J- just, Jamal Crawford, best player at eight, probably there. That's, um, that's a tough Keto Turkaloo was 16 in that draft. Oh, wow. So there's there's that. Quentin Richardson was in that draft. But like just the top of that draft is like infamously uh, disappointing. You know what's funny about that too? Maybe that's one of the reasons too why, you know, uh, emotionally I was so invested in Kenny Martin because clearly the number one pick. You know what I mean? Like in that, like there, I don't think going into that draft there was any consideration the Nets were going to take anybody else. You know, so yeah. it's probably like, we, I don't think so. We probably fell yeah. for Kenyon Martin well before he even became in that, you know? Yeah. Big ups to Saginaw, yeah. Michigan. All right. <laughs> so let's go for five. All right. So, I mean, you covered again, Shaq. <laughs> I, so many different ways to go here. And I thought it would be like the hokiest thing in the world as the former Laker beat writer to go with Shaq. And then I just cannot, felt, I found myself coming back to him anyway. Um, he was frustrating as hell to cover for a lot of those years because Shaq could be moody. Shaq would shut down on us for days at a time. And yet at his best, he was, he was hilarious, fun as hell, incredible to watch. And I know he was, he was polarizing aesthetically for basketball fans because there was so much brute force involved. Mm -hmm. But if you watched his feet and you watched actually 
his footwork and how light on his feet he was and how spry he was, especially before he started packing on more weight later in, the, in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, just incredible. And also just one of the most unique figures I've ever covered because the best player in the league is very rarely the most uh, like entertaining as a personality, Yeah, right? right. Like Charles Barkley could be that guy at times in his career. Um, Joel Embiid has leaned into that a little bit, but Mm. still not at that, at that level. Mm. But if you think who's the most fun to listen to or, or is the most colorful, it's very rarely also the guy who's one of the best players. Yeah, that's right. Like think of Jokic. Jokic won't even do commercials. (laughs) He's, he just, he just wants to play basketball and then go hang out with his horses. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, uh, you know, Giannis is, he's kind of a fun personality. I like Giannis a lot. Sure. And he's really engaging sure. and, and stuff, but it's very rare to have a guy who can be like the class clown and also just kick everybody's fucking ass. Yeah. And, and that was Shaq. And so even though at times during those seven years that I covered him, it was often frustrating. Um, the, you know, with the with the benefit of time too, like I appreciate more and more just how unique a figure he was as both a player and personality. So um, I, I I avoided for the most part picking guys for this list who I covered. I didn't go with like a Rick Fox who I mentioned earlier who gave me a U two ticket once, <laughs> or Brian Shaw, Derek Fisher, Robert Or like Ori. I thought about Robert Ori for power forward, but um, like all these guys who I really appreciated. Uh, just as a reporter covering them because of you know the time they gave me, yeah. uh, moments that I saw of them, good and bad and otherwise, uh, but at, et cetera, I just couldn't help it. I love it. I love it. And you're right. I just watched the other day, Blue Chips is on, right? I've never seen it. Oh, stop it. I've never seen it. Is it any good? Yes, it's good. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I'm hurt right now. I'm hurt that <laughs> I can't even make a blue chips <laughs> reference. But out of like the three, you know, you know, I'm not calling Nick Nolte like Robert De Niro here, but you know, he's a, he's a good actor. He can hang hang on the screen. And you know, you're watching uh, Anthony Hardaway and yeah. whoever this guy who played Ricky Rowe is in this movie try to act next to these real actors. You know, and it's not it's not working. They're charming, but it's not working. And then there's Shaq. <laughs> Just jumping off the screen. I mean, he's a baby in that movie. And he's just yeah. so like, and then I'm I'm showing my kids fucking Good Burger the other day, forgetting, oh, who has a cameo in Good Burger? Shaq. You know what I mean? Mm. He's just been this strange part of like our narrative from the day he came on. Like, what a charming guy, you know? You know, you know who did the score to blue chips? I just looked it up. No. Nile Roger, Nile Rogers and Jeff Beck. Is that my right? brother? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know your brother was scoring. <laughs> Says music by Nile Rodgers and Jeff Beck. Wow. How about that? How, how about it? But it, can you do me a favor and give that a watch? Uh, all right. I'll put it on the list just for you. It's Bob like, Cousy was in this movie. No, oh, my God. Honestly, you're the fact that you haven't seen this is disturbing to me, especially considering. I'm sorry. Marcus Johnson was in the movie. It, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff to like. Trust me. All right. So let's right. watch. I'll Blue put it Chips. on the list. Okay. I'm sorry. Boy, a bunch of, a lot of, all, all the college coaches were in there. Uh-huh. Well, Alan Houston was in there as well. Kevin Garnett was in there. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of cameos, I guess, just like brief ones. George Lynch. Wow. Keith Smart. See you in now? Tonight? 
Make the whole family I, watch it tonight. Sit down, I got. I, 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 I have to watch the. I have to watch the silly in-season tournament games. Oh, tonight. that's right. That's right. All right, let's finish off this list because Brad is fucking dying right now. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't have to go to the bathroom. This one, you know, I'm not sure if you're going to give me any shit for it, but I did a little bit of research to make sure that I could put them at this position. I'm voting for Tim Duncan at center. Yeah, that's I'm, fair. I'm allowed, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. No. That uh, the the uh, the jury says uh, the, the the blue chip panel approves it. Like it's okay. he's. It was always kind of a discussion or a debate whether whether he was really a center or power forward. Even though he played power forward next to David Robinson for a bunch of those years, and they would bring in like the you know, Ar- Argentinian du jour or Russian du jour to play next to him. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's fine. He's a center. Because I'd like to give you know to keep it in the spirit of how we we set this up earlier. I mean. If Tim Duncan's a center and and centers are the bass players or, you know, drummers, he's like, he's one of the different ones, right? You know, he's, uh, he's Stuart Copeland. He's, um, he's Flea, you know, like, like, like he's, he's one of those ones, but wait. Is it is could he be Phil Collins? Like the drummer who also was actually the band leader Maybe. and sings? Yes. And and I could I'm a big Genesis guy. Well, let's say actually that that the first incarnation with David Robinson, uh, you know, the first crew, Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, that was Genesis. So David Robinson was Peter Gabriel. That was Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. And then Duncan <laughs> went off on his own and just had a huge, a huge career. I think that's fair. Um, by the way, basketball reference. Uh, defines him as a power forward. His first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine seasons, they have him listed as power forward. And then basketball reference has him as center for the rest of his career. So um, e- either way, you're, you're, you're fine. I think. Close enough, close enough. But I'd yeah. like to say, I mean, this was, you know, like, as you know, you watched him plenty. Just this model, I, you know, if anyone I can appreciate, it's someone that you know is A, going to be out there, and you kind of know exactly, like, I love when a player is so good at what they do, you know exactly what they're going to do and you still can't stop it. Yep. You know, it's like the Mariano Rivera thing, right? Like, like this is my pitch. You know it's my pitch. It's just so good you can't hit it. You know, and I love that about Tim Duncan. It was just like, I'm going to go left. I'm going to go right. I'm going to get these boards. I'm going to be in the right place all the time, every time. And and I'm going to be fit enough to stay out there and be out there like all the time, every time they need me. Just the model of consistency and kind of like, fuck you, this is what I do. I loved the kind of thing about Tim Duncan where it just seemed like the all the stuff wasn't affecting him. You know, and I kind of get that same thing out of Jokic. It's just this idea that like, yeah, yeah, like this is all cool, but I still have something bigger than this. You know what I mean? And I kind of love that vibe. It's nice. Um, so yeah. I'm sticking with Duncan. I like the, I think more people should swim in the off season, you know? <laughs> no, he's a great choice. He, he could have been a jo- great choice at center or power forward. Um He's like, he's one of those guys, you know, again, you think about the aesthetics of the game, especially in basketball. I like Duncan. It's funny because we talk about the Jordan era. We talk about the LeBron era. We talk about like the Steph era, which overlaps with the LeBron era. 
And it's funny that the 2000s, we don't really define as Duncan's era. And I think it's because like Jokic, he's this guy who dominates without being a big personality and doesn't do commercials and is not, you know, he's like, Jokic is actually far more fun and interesting, I think, in a lot of ways than Duncan. Yeah, it's not that Duncan's not, right? Like Duncan just wouldn't let us in. He just had no interest in yeah. engaging. Yeah, Jokic and, will surprise you with like, yes, yeah, that's yeah, true. He could- he could be kind of fun or funny. And, and Duncan is just, his teammates would tell you, oh, he's hilarious. But like, it's like when someone tries to convince you that Kawhi Leonard's actually like a really fun personality, <laughs> yeah. like it's okay, sure. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> right. um, but Dun- Duncan's game also, like it's, you know, the word that comes to mind is like metronomic, right? Like That's it's right. just, it's it's just like clockwork. Boom, boom, boom. That's why Shaq dubbed him the big fundamental because he was just so fundamentally sound. But there was not, as you're coming out of the Jordan era and Kobe coming along as the Jordan clone, Duncan was like, he's dominating, but he doesn't dominate like Shaq does where it just looks powerful. And he doesn't dominate the way that like a Michael or a Kobe did. And so I think he's, he was, it was a more refined basketball taste, right? Like the, the average fan is going to be like, Oh wow, that guy's really good. But like, are you getting excited to watch him? Hmm. That'd be more fun to watch Manu Ginobili. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? Tony Parker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like uh, you know, like uh Matt Damon and in rounders, you know, he just chips you to death, you know? <laughs> check and check and check. Um I love that. Oh, this was fun. That was a good list. Yeah. That was a good list. Good stuff. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I got to tell you because yeah. I yeah. you okay? I, this is a great, you know, I it's I love to see you so well engaged, but it's like the this is what I hear, right? I hear like uh-huh. Foo Fighters. <laughs> Green Day. <laughs> Basketball. <laughs> <laughs> It's, so it's like, like Charlie those, Brown. <laughs> yeah, those me- and those memes, like, what does a dog hear when you speak? It's like, yeah, wah, yeah, wah, wah, yeah. treat. <laughs> I get it. It's a little similar to like me listening to like guitar players talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I'm I like, get- when I hear Marshall, high end. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Well, thanks for being a sport. I don't make you do this too much, you know. No pun intended. Howard is a at least a fun and engaging and interesting guy. I think we got a lot of insight into, you know, kind of how the pudding is made, which is one of the things I was really interested to talk to him about. You know, like yeah, like what's going on back there. Guys listening to Led Zeppelin, are they still doing cocaine? <laughs> I thought I was going to get a great, because you know where that came from? It came from Semi-Pro, okay. where Jackie Moon says something along the lines of like, remember those 18 rebounds in Kansas City? Four whiskey sours. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then and then I read this uh, that book of basketball. The um, was it a Jackie McMullen book? And there's like some great sections in there about the ABA and the fact that I mean, like there were people who literally just had like handguns in their lockers, right? Uh, you know what I mean? Like like yeah. literally doing lines of cocaine at halftime. <laughs> just fights and stuff that led to like like shooting like parking lots like really crazy underhanded weird you know there were guys playing in that league who were like barely basketball players right. you know what i mean like right. um so i thought i was going to get a great like yeah 1964 you know somebody but <laughs> you know i i you forget sometimes too that these are professional athletes and like you know you really can't get away with that shit for too long, can you? And also professional journalists who, even if it's been thirty years, they're not gonna they're not gonna dish too much dirt. That's it. And we're not in we the going off track podcast isn't <laughs> isn't weighty enough to get those kinds of breaking stories, right? <laughs> yes, I don't think you can't break it here. I don't think you're gonna break anything here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But I did have a pleasure talking to Howard. What's he guy? You know, he's um, easy to find these days. Oh, he's he's, he's been out long enough that he's got you know, he's got Howard Beck at all his socials, so you can't even spell it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the one thing I always that I really found interesting about this is like the, you know, anytime there's these big like machines running, like the touring industry or these like sporting events and stuff like that, you know the the people behind the production, it's always fascinating to me. Like how many people are back there like making it happen right. and hearing, you know, that there's like one singular person responsible for like, oh shit, like this guy needs a wristband on his left wrist, right. you know, three of them. And then this guy needs a knee sleeve and like, yeah. and getting that shit from city to city and stadium to stadium and, you know, it's not like they're getting carted around in like, you know, private cars. And like, I can't imagine the kind of hoops someone like that has to go through to kind of oh, make yeah. all that shit happen, you know? They probably get fired a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the ones who, I bet the ones who stay probably wind up becoming real, like, you know, the same as a great tour manager. Or great, right. You know, when you finally find someone, you're like, fuck yeah, I want this person like forever. Oh, because, yeah. You know? It's the same thing, dude. It's the same. It's just, it's the same exact deal. Like, you know, as like, as like attending to a diva or a guitar tech that's got to be on point because you could blow the fucking song. Like, but do you same, think, you think equipment deal. managers get like, like music road dogs? Like, like, yeah. Like you're in like St. Louis and there's like an equipment manager card game just filled yeah. with like smoke and bourbon and <laughs> just like, like they get dirty and seedy after. Yeah, of course they do. They're road man. dogs, right? So probably. Yes. Yeah. Road dogs. And let's face it, like, you know, half the road dogs we know are total music junkies or band guys. But then there's like that other maybe 30% who like, could be doing it for anything. It's yeah, not just, necessarily have to be music. You know? Yeah, they're essentially just career rippers. Yeah, exactly. People who know how to shit, get shit done. People know how to wake up early, go to sleep late. Like it takes yeah. a certain type, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good pivot for the guys I know who can't get work. You know, day. 
need a job doing merch, maybe hit up the Knicks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a job for you. Carrying some jerseys around and shit. <laughs> we do have a patron. Yes, patreon.com slash going off track. Uh, Brad puts up great things. And mm, we got some bonus content. Bonus the- content, ad-free episodes, weekly chat through the winter. We'll be going back again. And uh, yeah, come join the family if you appreciated the uh, the episode. And like I said, you can find Howard at Howard Beck, where you consume your social media. And you can find us at Going Off Track. That's it. Same place. Let's get out of here. All right, buddy. Bye, Brad. Bye, Benny. Have a great week. You too. You too.